Hello, hello everybody. It is post-season and it's never too soon to start talking about season eight. We know that it's gonna be a while, but there's lots to talk about, lots to do, lots to say, lots of different opinions to gather. And for that reason, we have brought in some guests. And of course, we have a different setup as you can see here as well. We got Ashea and Sean on camera at the same time with me. I'm in a History of Westeros sandwich, which is pretty amazing. And heck, you can see our legs. That's different, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> dancing legs. Yes, dancing legs. That's right. We also already have a super chat from Aaron Habig. Thank you very much, Aaron. We appreciate that. But let's introduce our guests. Of course, we have three people today, and we got a good variety of people doing different things in the community. Let's start with Val, because Val, say hello, Val. Hi, everyone. Um, because, well, because Val on Twitter, because Geek on YouTube, and yeah, um, if you don't know me, I make Game of Thrones videos based uh, mostly on the show, and yeah, just try to analyze it, you know. There you go. Happy to be here. <laughs> yes. And you do a good job. We got to meet you at Con of Thrones, and that was a lot of fun. You introduced us to Jackbox Games, and that was also a lot of fun. So, Ooh, yeah. well done. <laughs> well done there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's say hi to Eliana um, from Maester Monthly and from Reddit. How you doing, Eliana? I'm well. Um, hi, I'm Eliana, and uh, yes, I moderate the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit as Glass Table Girl. And as Aziz said, do the Maester Monthly podcast where we try to highlight cool stuff that people are doing. Definitely. Yes, it's great. It goes to show that our community keeps growing. There's more people making content and it never really, I mean, it never gets old. <laughs> I, never, I never get yeah. bored of this stuff. There's always so much fun things to talk about. And last but certainly not least, we have Emmett Booth, a.k.a. Poor Quentin, wearing lots of different hats in the fandom these days. How you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm Emmett. I go by Poor Quentin on Tumblr and Twitter, where I write about Song of Ice and Fire, and I covered Season 7 of Game of Thrones for Deadspin, which just wrapped up. Yeah, that was cool, having you on Deadspin. We got to, we definitely quoted you a few times during the season. <laughs> you had some, uh, some, some good takes, as always. And you helped us with our Euron episode. That was really good. People were thankful for that. That was a lot of fun, for sure. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's, um, a couple of very quick announcements and then we'll get to it. We've got a good, a fun format for today, which we'll kind of, uh, be toying with during the off season and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. We have our final drawing for the GRM box on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, we'll have Radio Westeros returning. We've got a couple other guests um, to be announced. We're tightening all that up and we'll be announcing that probably by tomorrow. So join us again on Wednesday, or if you weren't here for this live stream, you can join us on Wednesday instead. But even better if you can come to both. We also, the three of us just went to Dragon Con. That was a lot of fun. And that was all weekend. It's, it's here in our town, Atlanta. So it's uh, a regular thing for us to do. And Ash, you filmed uh, an extra little uh, side piece there, something fun that we did here at the house in our studios. Yeah, it was on Drunk, A Song of Ice and Fire History. I got drunk for the first time in probably over four years. It's been a long time. I don't usually drink. And <laughs> I did that with uh, Lies and Arbor, Chloe. And uh, we covered Nymeria's migration, so I'm pretty excited for that to get out there. Right on. And a couple of, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Chuck L, Chuck, uh, Chuck Laws of the Night, of the Drummond Nightblood, uh, one of our Ironborn captains who gave this shirt. This is House de Los. It doesn't look, look like, like anything, anything to me. 
So that's a little Westworld uh, joke for you guys there. And also thanks to Armando, who uh, had a nice, cool parking lot party that we got to hang out in. And um, that was good times. A lot of Game of Thrones people there. And I want to give thanks to our patrons, of course. We have our dragon riders, Lord Mark of House Joseph. The Snow in Winterfell is the rider of Masla Cartho, the white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. We have Talanes the Talon, a king of Gagasos, rider of Talarius, the red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black. And Jinx of House Lier, Green Queen of the Rainwood, rumored daughter of a woods witch, rider of Erogenia, the sylphic albino dragon with amethyst eyes and opalescent wings. And she's here for Dragon Con too. We got to meet her. That was a lot of fun. Well, that's one of the great things about cons is meeting people that you interact with on the fandom online, like on a semi-regular basis, but don't actually meet in person until some sort of event happens around the country like this. We've met all three of our guests in person. That's true. <laughs> that's right. We have met all three of y'all. That's awesome. I don't think I've met. No, no. Sean has. <laughs> you haven't met Ellie. That's true. Two, most of us have met. <laughs> Not yes. quite everyone. Haven't yes. met yet. Sean, we'll get that fixed one of these days. Sean and Eliana will meet. <laughs> also, thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, History of Westeros' first sword. People have asked us about Super Chat, and one of our, um, which is available today, of course, and one of our patrons uh, figured out how to use it when you're using an Apple. Uh, device because iPhones don't have super chat. So don't what, what she suggests is to don't use the YouTube app. Just go to youtube.com using your Safari browser and then super chat is a feature that you can use. So there you go. If you needed to figure out a workaround for that, well, there you go. So there's just a lot happening. I'm going to set a few things up and then we're going to get into the material that we prepared for today. Um, mostly we're going to be dealing with things that are coming. You know, we're going to talk about what we expect for season eight, but we're also just going to talk out some of these other things that happened during the season. Um, just as a, just as a bit of a setup, it's funny to think about how we started covering the season. We, we, we realized there was a bit of a conundrum with all these characters were headed to Winterfell all kind of at the same time, but not exactly at the same time. And so much depended on who got there first. Like if Arya gets there before Bran, well, that could mean this or that, or if, if the Brotherhood without Banner shows up at, at, uh, at Winterfell, well, that can affect this. If Brienne is there, or if John is there, or blah, blah, blah. There's all these different permutations, and it was a lot of fun to talk about, but it was really hard to figure out because of what was happening and what order everything was happening in. The same thing is happening now with regards to Winterfell. We have, for example, John and Danny's romance. That could go a lot of different ways, even outside of how that's going to impact Winterfell. But then we have whatever Tyrion talked about with Cersei, and how that's going to come out because... Jamie has ridden north, and he knows every all about Cersei's betrayal. So one would think that the people in Winterfell are going to hear all about that. But there's all these characters: Bran, Brienne, Tyrion, Davos. You know, I'm not even naming all of them, but they all each and every one of them will have a reaction to Jamie, and each and every one of them will have a reaction to the Night King. Assuming Jamie even makes it. That's true. There's always a chance he doesn't even make it. He'll just be killed by some bandit on the road and. That'll be kind of... Uh, He's got a cut in his leg that gets infected and he just dies. <laughs> Unceremoniously. Well, that would be pretty surprising. <laughs> so one thing I did w was to prepare for this, we, had, we asked each of our guests something that they're excited to talk about. One thing I think really matters in this fandom, and it's just in general, in life, is to focus on things that you care about, things that you're passionate about. Now, we all love Game of Thrones, but we all have our favorite characters, our favorite plot lines, the things we don't, we, we, we maybe prioritize over other things. So with that in mind, I wanted each 
each of our guests to pick something out that they're particularly interested in talking about. So what we have here is, uh, let's have each person describe the, the general topic that they wanted to talk about. We'll start with you, Emmett. You're, you picked something that I guess wasn't too much of a surprise. Sure, I picked Euron to talk about. He's one of my favorites in the books, as uh, you saw when we did that episode together on him. Um, you know, he's certainly not even close to the, sh- the same in the show, but I'm interested with the kind of secondary marginal role they're using him for, what they might have in mind for him in season eight, and just how they're going to fit him into the plot going forward. Right on. Now, Eliana, how about you? You picked uh, you picked a cool topic that I like. I think one that a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of focus in the discussion so far on, you know, how is Daenerys going to react to Jon's parentage? And of course, how is Jon going to react to, like, finding out? So um, I wanted to explore how other characters, specifically the folks over in Winterfell, are going to feel about um, their king in the north suddenly not being a Stark. Yeah, right? That's kind of surprising. <laughs> like, wait, you're not... Wait, what? <laughs> How's that possible? And Val, you picked a, a topic that I'm really excited about, one that's got a lot of uh, possible permutations and things that we've just never really seen before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've picked um, talking about how the entire battle basically is going to go against the Whites and White Walkers and what the Night King is going to do and what everyone in Westeros is going to do against the Night King. Um, so yeah, there, a lot of things could happen. It's a huge top, topic and I, I have a few ideas and, uh, but my goal was mainly, uh, discussing it with other people to, so I can get more ideas because that's, that's the best, the best way to discuss any topic in Game of Thrones, I find. So yeah. I, I agree. That's uh, part of the, the idea here with us having, you know, a bunch of people is that we all, especially with fairly limited time to think about it. I mean, the books we've been analyzing for years, we've had a lot of time to think about it, Dance with Dragons, even the, the, the bonus chapters, we've had plenty of time to think about those things. These ideas are fairly new because the source material, the show itself, is, you know, only two weeks ago we saw a lot of these things happen. So the fandom hasn't had years to tinker with these ideas like we've had with so many other things. So having a lot of different opinions coming in at once is really valuable for us to figure out what's going on. So the topic that, that we here at History of Westeros picked is Jamie. Jamie going to going north is, you know, there's a lot of reactions to that. You know, I brought that up already. And we're going to try to get through all four of these topics. We're going to do our Jamie one last just in case we don't have enough time for it because we can always bump that and talk about it in a future episode. I want to make sure our guests get their topics in. That's the priority. And also, if we have time, we're going to discuss how each of us handled the leaks and how we're going to handle presumably future leaks. It seems like they're not unlikely to happen given the patterns we've been exposed to so far. And since each of us is kind of in different parts of the fandom, you know, Emmett, he's writing for Deadspin and Eliana, you're a Reddit mod and all of us are involved in different sorts of podcasts and videos. And it's just different how we all were presented this material. So that's kind of a, I think that would be kind of fun to talk about for a few minutes, but we'll hold on to that. See if we can get to this other stuff. Looks like another super chat as well. Yes, from Dornish Dan. Did Cersei let Jamie go knowing what he knows? No one walks away from her. If so, part of what nefarious plot? plot? I don't know. I think she just genuinely cares about him. She could pull the trigger on ordering his death. That's just I, I a hard thing so. to do, huh? Yeah. Even still, she may have considered that as a potential mm-hmm. and not revealed the full plan to him or had some inf- misinformation in what she told him, you know? Mm. What about you guys? Anyone have a take on, uh, you think that was just emotional, or do you think maybe Cersei wishes she could have stopped him, or? 
Yeah, I think she was just kind of caught in between her desire to kill and her desire to not kill Jamie there. Um, <laughs> she could have well kept something from him, that's true. But yeah, I think in the moment that was just probably purely an emotional thing. We've got a couple more super chats to get through from Danny Jeter. What's the White Walker route? Love your maps. <laughs> well, that's uh, that was Val's topic, so we will topic. be getting so we'll deep get, into we'll that. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, next one from Leandro Ferraz. Greetings from Brazil. Just wanted to show my appreciation to History of Westeros and this community for making my Season 7 experience so much fun. Looking forward to book stuff and more Season 8 speculation. Cheers. Well, that's yes, that's a too. that's a good point. I didn't mean to, or I I meant to bring up that, of course, our book coverage is resuming shortly. Uh, I don't have an exact date on our first release, but it will be the Blackfish episode, which I really <laughs> intended to have out before the season. So sorry, <laughs> people have been waiting for so long for that, but we will get that out fairly soon, and we'll be doing show and book coverage and lots of fun stuff. So thanks for that. Thanks, say hi to uh, everyone else in Brazil for us. <laughs> Take a few minutes, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that clears up the Super Chats for now. Let us get started. Why don't we start with Euron? I see this is first what we have in our document. So let's do that. Let's start with Euron. I think one of the biggest parts here was, you know, the fact that Jamie wasn't in on this whole plan. And what's going to happen next as well? I wonder if Euron was in on this whole plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emmett, this is your topic. Why don't you get us started and uh, we'll go from there. Certainly. I think, you know, a pattern in both books and show is that as Jamie and Cersei have gradually become more estranged, Cersei's putting her trust in more and more unsavory, shady figures who either don't have her best interests in mind, or even if they're not hostile to her, are just using her for their own ends. Kyburn is a classic example of that, um, and Euron is another one. So I think, you know, it's... Given the way he he's talked, especially in asides to Jamie. Uh, it seems like they might have more of a role for him than simply serving Cersei. It seems like he might stab her in the back or maybe just slink away from her at the last second. The way they're setting up his kind of very conditional loyalty to her. Seems like they pretty much stripped away any of the more kind of sorcerous apocalyptic stuff devoted to him in the books, and they pretty much showed that purely to the others. So if you take that away from book, you're on what you mostly have is a guy who really likes stabbing other people in the back. So I think that might that might be what we see of him in Season 8. I mean... His role up to this point has been that and, um, you know, propping Cersei up and also providing a, a, a specific antagonist for the younger Greyjoys. And that was set up again in the season seven finale when you had Theon kind of headbutting his way to taking charge of his people. Specifically <laughs> to go off and, indeed. Specifically to go off and rescue his sister from Euron. So the, in terms of how his downfall comes about, that might be how, um, via Theon returning home to kind of raise up his people, which might also be happening in the books to some extent if the whole latecomer thing proves true. Yeah. But yeah, this, at this point, I'm, I'm, it's likely he's, he's just going to be causing a secondary disruption of some kind, would be my guess. Do you think there's any chance that he betrays Cersei? I think I would probably put a high high bet on that, but not even like actively betray her so much as like see that it's going wrong and quietly walk away that might we might have been setting that up in the finale even though it was feigned his walk away because he's actually still working for it might have been foreshadowing a genuine uh abandoning of ship in season eight when things really start to go wrong for her. but you know it's happened before in the show of course where they whisk people away and you wonder are they gone for good they're just leaving you know like with with gendry or melisandre so they might might be how they just remove him from the show entirely is just have him slink away and abandon cersei to her fate or they might have theon kill him <laughs> yeah that's a good that's a that's a good part of this topic is who how is euron gonna 
you know, end? And whether will it be Theon or will it be somebody else? So, Eliana, let me get your take here. What, do you think that Yara is on the Iron Islands, or do you think maybe she was taken to Essos with Euron so he could keep an eye on her? Any thoughts there? I would imagine that based on the way the show has been composing everything, that she would be on the Iron Islands if Theon's on his way there, so that you can just immediately get that clash between the two, um, as opposed to, you know, him going there and her not necessarily uh, being there. So I would imagine that she's there, and then we get to have more of the demonstrations of what kind of person Euron is. Can I ask a question? Absolutely. So before this season aired, uh, Pilo Azbek was all uh, saying that Euron would be shown as worse than Ramsay. Mm-hmm. How how do you think that that's going to play out? Yeah, <laughs> at I all. was wondering about that. Well, I had an idea that ties into the original question of where uh, is Euron going to take Yara to Essos, or where I think he's going to keep her in his ship in the uh, you know just like down there kind of like he did in the uh uh in the winds of winter released chapter um and that's where i expect to see Euron being really really evil it's just like a torturing scene for yara basically Oof. that would be right up ramsey's alley and he could if he's just worse than her than 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 uh, ramsey was that would be <laughs> that'd be pretty straightforward <laughs> but he probably doesn't you know, do we think he's even seen the script for season eight yet? Does, how does he know? I mean, maybe he was just playing himself up a bit. I don't know. I, I, I see where you're coming from, but I wonder what he actually knows about the future of his character. He um, seems like a kind of a dramatic dude in general, which I say with love. He might have just been building up his character some. But, you know, who, he might have just... Maybe they told him a bit of where he's going in season eight. They might have not shown him the scripts, but they might have mentioned the scene he has or what happens to Yara. Because, yeah, I agree... I think it's entirely possible we get some kind of horrifying torture scene in the silence, which, yeah, that would that would be difficult to watch for sure. Yeah, we don't need that again. Also, it's, there's a lot of different ways maybe to measure evil. Like, Ramsey, we saw him do pretty evil things, but only to a few individuals. Maybe Euron does something evil to a large population. Ah, okay. I like that. Burns down a whole city or something. I like like that that idea. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I I like that too. That that is the other role I was toying with in terms of show Euron, that he acts as a spoiler in some way for the side of the living, that he doesn't, he's not a major force of evil in the way he seems to be in the books, but he acts in some ways to, you know, mess up our defenses or throw a chink in John and Danny's plans, or he in some way interferes with the, you know, with the ongoing stand against the others. That could be the role they have in mind for him. My theory in the long term is that he helps the cause. Whether they... No one likes him, but they need his help anyway. That's that's what I foresee the long-term direction of his character. It is interesting that they've made things so that he basically has the only fleet. You know, that... Uh, I mean, Danny sort of has some, you know, a lot, a lot of her ships are still around, but they're severely reduced, and she certainly doesn't have any kind of expertise there. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of makes sense because we did see him um, at the King's Moot kind of promising to everyone that he would uh, rule Westeros, I think. And what he did at the Dragon Pit scene, like, you know, before he left, just kind of telling Danny that, you know, they could be both the, the only ones left alive if they just go to an island. Um, maybe that's what he has in mind, just kind of letting everyone die in Westeros and then take it after, or something like that. Mm. That is some potential foreshadowing. 
Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'll just wait, yeah. While <laughs> everyone else freezes. <laughs> we have seen his ships launching these fiery catapults. You know, those might be good weapons against yeah. the dead. I think there's... And it's common for George yeah, to bring people together that are default enemies, but put in a situation where they have to work together, whether it's Sansa and Littlefinger or... Well, do you think that there could there. be any connection between Euron and the Night King? Like, maybe Euron would want to use that power somehow? In the books, it seems like they're heading that way, but in the show, they haven't really... I mean, in, in his, Euron's introduction in the show, they kind of built up a mystique around him when he had the storm going and he was saying weird things, but ever since then, he's they've hinged him more towards comedic than outright frightening. So, it's certainly possible, but yeah, I think it'd be more like, like I was thinking about it in terms of like in the, in the Lord of the Rings in the books, they had the scouring of the Shire, in which everyone came home from the war and found that Saruman had wrecked their nice, perfect green paradise. So I was thinking maybe he ended up in that kind of role, where he like, he doesn't, he's not as big as someone like the Night King, but he, he spoils the paradise somehow, or he kind of complicates the victory because he does something drastic, like behind everyone's back while everyone's focused on the others. Mmm. I had been saying, uh, there's a lot of speculation about him using a horn and some mystical abilities or uh, antiques that he's got, like, the, from the books that, so far on the show, there's been nothing, no, no hint of that. But maybe something's got to happen for six hour and a half long episodes next season. Maybe that's something, maybe we start off seeing Euron on some, some trek to get some device that changes everything, you know. It also seems like in the long run they're going to need more than just like soldiers with swords to beat this army. They're going to need something magical. Maybe that's Euron's role? That's po certainly possible. Ashea, while you're, if you have a minute, you know, you're doing a lot of things at once, you had yeah. some idea about hopefully maybe while Euron's in Essos, maybe there's some potential for something more than just him getting the Golden Company. Maybe we get some of the mystical oh, elements. Oh, yeah. You Where know? are you going with that? Yeah, I just <laughs> thought that he could get the Valyrian steel armor that we've seen, the thought that he could get Dragonbinder or any other artifact while there. Yeah, that's certainly possible. It's not, you know, I, I would guess that's not very likely. In general, when we theorycraft about the show, it, it tends to pay off to keep things simpler and to not assume things that will make the plot bigger are going to come into play because it's also, you know, they're rushing towards this finish line here. But, you know, the, the epic parts of the story are really coming to the front and if, if you've got a dude a magical dude that can throw an ice lance you know like 100 miles an hour <laughs> then maybe Euron can go find uh, some fancy armor <laughs> we'll have to see so let's talk a little bit about the Golden Company as well in this expectation um, I am personally very excited that it seems like we're almost certainly getting them at this point. They've been made larger, and the idea of them having elephants is great, and of course his fleet is large enough, to, presumably, to bring these elephants over, and this large army. Do we have... I've seen some people theorize that maybe he'll try to keep the Golden Company for himself, but I, I don't know if that's possible because of, there's, no, there's no reason to assume that the Iron Bank just handed the money over to Euron, right? They could be paying the Golden Company directly, they could give the money to Cersei, but... Is there any thought, and has anyone thought about that as a possibility for maybe the Golden Company, Euron trying to pilfer the company for himself or use them to his own ends or something like that? Well, I, I don't think it's going to be possible for him to just take the Golden Company because I think the Iron Bank is paying them. So Yeah, uh, that's, that tends to be where I fall on it. Any, any, any other takes on that? I haven't thought about it, but I kind of like there would be some sort of poetry behind it in that 
you know, the Lannisters' own gold being used against them and them falling to a golden company when that's something that they're so well ah. known for. But I, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I do like that. Yeah, there are definitely resonances there. But I think overall, so many decisions in Season 7 and Season 6, I think, were made about propping Cersei up because they love her as a character and they love that actress. And I think they're just trying to keep her around for as much as possible. So I think the Golden Company is kind of one more step in that regard. Especially since it seems like they may have given her Egan's role from the books in terms of like being the person on the throne when Danny comes to Westeros and the person she fights. So the gold, giving her the Golden Company might just be kind of part of that process of kind of stripping down those storylines in the books and using them as kind of supports for Cersei. Same with Euron, you know, cutting away the sorcerer stuff, but using him to keep Cersei around. Seems, seems to be their goal with these kind of characters. Okay, that's actually a great segue, too, because I wanted to talk about the potential for Cersei. Now that Jaime is, at least for now, gone from King's Landing, does this maybe change Cersei's plans with regards to Euron? Do you think that maybe there is going to be a marriage now, and maybe that the timeline on that has moved up. Any thoughts on that from anybody? I have one thought here. Um, a lot of times, when you're trying to put leverage on someone, you're trying to make a deal or get someone to do something maybe they don't want to do, there's two sides to it. If you don't help us, we will well, chop off your finger. If you do help us, we'll give you your own castle. Stick with the carrot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no stick on Euron. It's just this promise to marry Cersei. There's no threat to him That's a good if he point. doesn't comply or, or succeed or whatever. So, combined with his, I'm going to say, independent nature, <laughs> I think it's very tenuous whether or not he sticks around, and especially if, and I immediately, my concern when Cersei's telling Jamie she's pregnant, Jamie's like, who are you going to say it is? She's like, yours. I'm like, what is Euron going to think about this? You know, I, he doesn't seem like the type to just be cool with that. So, um, he was willing to share Cersei with Jamie. He'll... I guess, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> I think, maybe I underestimate his. Maybe he just knows that he could kill this other child off, or if it's a bastard, it doesn't, you know, inherit yeah. over him. Or is her. she keeping it secret from him? Does he even know? You know, he might so it seems like no one else knows yet. But at, when he does find out, especially if there's no stick. And, and now there's also no carrot. What's keeping him around? And even if he doesn't keep the Golden or, you know, find some way to keep the Golden Company, I don't know quite how that would play out, but he might leave them stranded if they come over on his boats. And he's like, I'm not taking you guys back. Yeah, and they, they, they were like, hey, we want to leave. This isn't what we signed up for. Like, nah, sorry, man. You guys are stuck. There's no ships mm -hmm. for you. <laughs> At that point, what would they do? Where yeah. might he stick them? I'm not sure, but I don't know if that's even the direction they're going. But I do feel like they have to deal with the fact that he's been promised to marry Cersei and that's why he's sticking around and pretty much no other reason. And if she's pregnant with Jamie's, you know, now Jamie left, maybe <laughs> maybe she aborts the baby, you know? I don't I don't know. There's that suspicions of whether she's going to have it in the first place for all kinds of prophecy reasons, you know, but yeah. All right, Val, what was your take on your on here and Cersei? Well, I had I had some ideas, but now I'm doubting myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, you've got a good point there, Sean. Uh, I think, well, the one thing that I thought, and I was discussing this with one of my patrons too, is that what is keeping Euron there? That's a good question, right? So what if, what if Cersei did tell Euron that she's pregnant and told him it's his? You know, it doesn't even have to be his. It could still be Jamie's. Um, but she could be using it to manipulate Euron as well. And I, and you know, I was thinking, yeah, it makes sense for Euron to, to stick with Cersei because you know, he's, she's having his baby. Um, but at the same time, now remember that in the books, Euron doesn't really 
give a crap about his children. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe they changed that in the show, but yeah, it's possible that the baby would be the thing that's keeping him there. Yeah, I wonder, I really wonder too about, you know, if we try to, because we know we always try to see if anything from the books is going to pair up, if it's going to parallel, because it's always possible. You know, they use the source material as often as they can. Often they make their own stuff up. But I was certainly wondering when Daenerys showed up in the dragon pit, what Euron was thinking there because he you know he's talking about marrying the most beautiful woman in the world and maybe his idea changed when he saw Daenerys instead of uh, Cersei and maybe he's yeah like, I kind well, of expected that too are you saying that Danny's more beautiful than Cersei <laughs> <laughs> now that might come across as sarcastic but I'm actually being serious just so you know <laughs> Cersei said that when she was talking to Jamie when he was about to leave her, um, she said to him that uh, Euron, do you think Euron would give up marrying the queen or something like that? But she didn't say marrying me. She said marrying the queen. Uh-huh. So maybe that was like play on words. So yeah, double meaning. Yeah, I think that that and him talking about you know the most beautiful woman in the world, all of that is in, not specific enough to be referring to Cersei. Yeah, <laughs> everything's yeah, pretty vague. I agree. Haters. <laughs> Emma, do you have thoughts on on this, uh, since it's a kind of a book-related topic, have you thought about the possibility of of that being what Euron tries to maneuver towards, like leaving to go towards Danny instead of maybe that's what he he offers his ships? That's that's a great thing. Like you said, he's got this ability to change sides better than most people because he's like, well, I'll give you my my ships will be on your side. You need that. Not only can I side with you, and you don't have to fight my ships, but now they're on your side. So, I don't know, it seems like an interesting possibility. Totally, I could see him switching to Danny. You know, I mean, Danny's kind of past the point where ships are super useful for her. I mean, they can move her forces quickly to the north, I suppose. But, I mean, those, you know, the, the Greyjoys more came in handy when she was trying to get some slavers Bay to Westeros. But, you know, it could certainly just be the function of getting rid of Cersei or, you know, stripping her of defenders as we move towards her downfall. Yeah, I mean, Euron definitely knows, has no real loyalty to her, so if it looks like she's going down, or if she denies him marriage or something he wants within marriage, then yeah. I, I could absolutely see him betraying her for, for Danny for sure. I wouldn't be surprised. Right on. Okay, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. That seems like an entire a, a solid possibility. And in terms of uh, what Cersei's downfall might involve, if Euron switched sides that would be devastating. I mean, she's got some things still working pretty well for her. She's got some momentum given that her enemies are tied up uh, with, you know, the correctly perceiving the greater threat, but she's got some things going her way. You know, if the the Golden Company's coming and everyone's distracted, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. So let's get some final thoughts on this before we move on to our next topic. And we've got some super chats to get to as well, but let's see if anyone else has any final thoughts on Euron for now. Let's let's talk about future expectations. Just in general, what ideas you have at this point for what is coming next for Euron. This isn't for Euron, but I expect there to be something to come of Jorah having served in the Golden Company. Ah, good point. Okay, that's a good catch. Also, this this can tie into Theon and Yara as well, if you want to talk about Theon and Yara when you're giving your answer. Who wants to go next? Uh, I'll go ahead. But yeah, I, I would say I'd probably see the outcome leaning towards Theon and Yara being central somehow. They don't really... They don't, haven't really been given much else to do at this point. They, Danny doesn't really need their help anymore. 
Um, it's being tied into Theon's overall identity arc. He had that scene with John in the finale, so he's you know that inspired him to go off and fight Euron. So yeah, I would probably say that ends up that, that you know whatever Euron gets involved in along the way, so that's probably the end game. Yeah. Uh... I just came up with a tinfoil theory. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, hit us. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not even... Okay, it's it's impossible, all right? Like, it's basically impossible. But it wouldn't it be cool if, if Theon had a faceless man ability and he killed Euron, took his face, and then kind of tricked Cersei into thinking he was Euron. And <laughs> he's also a little brother, so he could choke Cersei. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome. Oh, yes. <laughs> she would only find out who it is when she reached down there, like, wait, why is this? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so true. You're not Euron. <laughs> you're not a faceless. You're, Can you're... faceless men, you know, replicate that, too, for their disguise? <laughs> oh, yeah. cockless men. Oh. <laughs> we, we didn't see that part of the training in Bravos, but yeah, there's, there's a whole month they spend just on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Arya when she was Walder Frey, for example. <laughs> yeah, what if his wife? That's a good point. Yeah, gotta commit yourself to the bit. Uh, how complete is the package? Uh, yes, <laughs> the package. <laughs> well, what my uh, I guess my last take on this would be that I'm wonder. My head canon right now is that Jamie will tell them. Go north and tell them what's going on. Like, yeah, Cersei's going to betray you guys, and Tyrion will be like, yeah, we know. But but they don't know about Euron going to get the Golden Company. That will be news to them. They may not believe Jamie. But if Theon goes to the Iron Islands and finds out that Euron is gone to Essos, they will believe him. And so that's two different people. Maybe maybe Theon corroborates Jamie's story. And that's how they learn that this threat is coming. You could see maybe at first they might literally imprison Jamie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then Theon comes and reveals Jamie's being honest, and so they let him out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Okay, unless there's more Euron thoughts, let's move on to these super chats, and then we'll move on to the next topic. Alrighty. Who is first? The Pools Abstract. Hi, I'm a new patron, Lady Madeline Valerian. Do you think John's identity will cause conflict between him and Danny, and will they eventually get married on the show? Mm. Well, that is one of our subjects that we're going to get to, I suppose, but we kind of will maybe... This is well, a really easy question, no? And yes, it's that simple. Everyone knows that, right? I guess <laughs> technically our topic that we're getting to later is how the North will react to it, not necessarily yeah. Danny's. This is sort of a subtopic, so we can, we can, we'll certainly handle this. Yeah, it's because let's, let's just to set the record here. It's not just his identity in terms of that he's a Targaryen and that he's his her nephew, but that his claim comes before. Both of those things matter. And it's a personal thing as well as a legal thing. You know, we don't know how they're going to feel about it personally, like on that level, like how John will feel about being in an incest relationship and how Danny would feel about that. And, of course, the whole thing of claim. So let's see. As Eliana, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely going to play a role in their relationship. I mean, obviously, Daenerys is going to be like, yo, what's up? That's my claim. But it's going to create that internal character conflict because she's going to have to question her entire role. Like, what have I been doing this entire time? The entire thing that I've thought was the purpose of my life since I was like 13 after my brother died um, is just completely different. And... She's going to have to reassess her role in all of that, and maybe she'll be like, I need some space in the relationship, or she could completely turn on John, or John just won't know what to do. He'll be gormless, as he is. <laughs> yeah. 
One one potential wrinkle to throw out here with this is that Danny has just started. Danny's attitude has started to change already. We haven't fully seen her thoughts on the Iron Throne. I mean, it it took all this to get her to focus on the Night King and the Army of the Dead. She sort of changed her mind about what matters, kind of like how Stannis did. You know, he switched from thinking he he at first he was all about getting the throne, just like Danny was, and then he started change his priorities to focus on the army of the dead and that's also what danny has done so if it's danny of beginning of the season it's it was a different person than danny now right like as her attitude towards ruling in general so that is a whole nother thing that makes us hard to predict sean you have some thoughts looks like uh one thing is that I, I mostly agree with what you're saying but i still think at the core danny is who she is like at this moment she shifted her gear but remember, Stannis shifted his gear because his advisors told him to. He didn't have to see it. He didn't have to make some trek up there and see, you know what I mean? Like, Davos said, hey, there's these warnings from the wall. And Melisandre's like, yes, we should go to the wall. And he's like, all right, let's go to the wall. You, you know, believe Melisandre. Yeah, uh, that's true. Danny did does not accept things when her advisors, when Tyrion's like, we should think about the long term. She's like, no, get me on the throne now. Get me on the throne now. Like, no, <laughs> that, oh, there's this other threat. Let me see it. Let me see it now. Okay, there's this other threat. Let's do something about this threat now. Let's do something about this threat now. She's a little bit more what's in her face. Certainly, the long-term goal of her life is to get on the throne, but that's just because her brother said, we're supposed to be on the throne. We're supposed to be on... You know, she doesn't have <laughs> some core mission of justice or something like that. She's just doing some combination of what she was raised to and what's in front of her face right now. Along the way, I try to give her credit. She... Wants to take over the city, takes over the city, and decides, you know, we should free the slaves here. You know, she takes on some responsibility, but she tends to resist the advice she's given. You made a point a while back that John took responsibility and gained, ended up gaining power, whereas Danny took power and ended up gaining responsibility, and they yeah. both kind of are sort of in a similar place now. And that's, but of course, it's, it's even more complicated because their own personal feelings about each other are going to just throw another wrench in yeah. this whole situation. Even minus romantic elements here, I think when she finds out, or if so many she finds out and believes that John is should be the correct heir, I think even if she has it in her, like I, I feel like the right thing to do, like that's been her justification for a lot of very questionable actions is she's supposed to be on the throne. It's very similar to Stannis, right? Yeah. Um, so if she realizes, oh wait, I'm not supposed to be on the throne, does she relinquish that? You know, if that's her justification, it seems like the, the honorable thing to do would be, okay, it should be John. But even if she has that streak in her, she still might have to reconcile burning the Tarleys to death. You know what yeah, I mean? Like if the, the reason she burned them is because they wouldn't bow to her. Well, if they weren't supposed to bow to her and I kill them, you know, I don't know how much the show will give time to that moral struggle that, you know... Uh, remorse that she should struggle with but I, I think it would be a super interesting thing you could get in a POV in the book yeah you know? that's true okay so let's let, uh, uh, go ahead that was that uh, Emmett there sure yeah I think I agree with Sean there's definitely potential for a huge kind of sunk cost fallacy on Danny's part that she's expended this much energy and spilled this much blood in her campaign for the throne that giving it up at this point would be tantamount to saying that none of that was worth it and but on the other hand like her relationship with John only occurred like that the Barrier was only breached because she agreed to devote herself to fighting the Night King and the Army of the Dead. That's what led John to bend the knee. So if she turns her back on that, if she considers, you know, if she's angry about John's claim, then that brings her back into that realm. So I could see it leading to tension in that relationship in that regard. If she 
you know, is 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 that focused on the Iron Throne? But you know, that that leads that leaves leaves open the question of whether he will be. So, but yeah, I imagine that's what I imagine the tension will be is if is her potential anger about his claim undercutting hers versus trying to stay focused on fighting the army of the dead, in which case it shouldn't really matter that he's also a Targaryen. Let's just go around the circle real quick. We spent a lot of time on this question. Let's just get everyone's quick yes or no answer on the second half of this question was, will they get married eventually? Sean, you first. No. No. Okay. Shea? Yeah. Yes. I also say yes. Uh, Eliana, do Danny and John get married? No. No. Okay. Val? I would say no, but because it won't be possible, not because they won't want to. Okay, cool. All right. And Emmett? Uh, I could definitely see it happening. If it happens, it'll happen just right before the end. I don't think they have enough time to really linger on it much, especially if they're going to give them some tension to work through beforehand. Okay. I don't think it'll be a marriage that works out. I think they'll get married, and they'll be pregnant, and things will go south. (laughs) So that's basically a 50-50 split there uh, on our guesses. So I guess we, as a group, don't... I haven't no. really, uh, don't really know. <laughs> I guess it's a lot of the yeses think it'll happen, but it'll be like not this beautiful romantic thing. It'll be this technical political yeah. thing. Or the people yeah. who don't think it'll happen think that they'll want to get married, but they'll be torn apart and it can't happen. You know, it's, yeah, uh, I agree. I don't think any of us who said yes are predicting that it'll be a happy, like peaceful marriage. <laughs> didn't, didn't they get married in Pirates of the Caribbean, like on a boat in the middle of a battle? Because, <laughs> oh, that was that's, that's kind of what I would see happening with John and Danny. Like as as the whites are surrounding them. If only Thoros was still around, they could have him marry them. <laughs> Danny's gonna pull like a, a Dwight Schrute when Dwight married himself to Angela. Someone's saying Danny's gonna have some Dothraki. My Sunday and Dothraki will have them wed in a language that John just doesn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> that works for John's kind of dopey expression. I could see that working out. Yeah. <laughs> why is he so why is he what's he brooding over this time he got tricked into marriage <laughs> all right next question what do we have Shea? uh right here from uh matthias bosfeld thank apologize you. for the name there where we <laughs> from don't holland know. from holland awesome uh, love your streams what are major book plots for season eight tv show according to us well i think we already touched on the idea of the Golden Company yeah. as a different but major book plot that's coming to the fore. The elephants. And... That part's the same. <laughs> <laughs> Very major. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be the one that I think of first off the top of my head that I'm most excited for. I'm good. I'm I think this this showdown, like the humanity, although I think it'll be a very different set of humans being trapped, sort of maybe surrounded or besieged at Winterfell. That looks like it's going to happen here in the show. I think something similar to that will happen in the books. And there's some I think won't, I just aren't happening. Obviously, we're not getting Young Griff. Obviously, we're not getting uh, gray, any grayscale outbreaks. Something I think a lot of us have predicted in the books for a while. Yeah. So I, there's some major things that just aren't happening very clearly. And also, the um, I think this John Danny stuff is basically similar, you know, probably. But mm-hmm. maybe maybe not some of the details. What I about? don't expect to see anything with Alice Carstar. You know, we saw the character, okay. but I don't expect to see that. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, what about uh, what about you guys? What's your expectation? What are some of the things that strike you as uh, book plots that we'll be seeing played out in season eight? Um, let's start with you, Emmett. Yeah, I no, I agree. The the war around Winterfell is one I'm looking forward to particularly, um, given that's just been built up for so long in the books and the show. I'm interested to see what they do with Bran especially given the limitations in budget and kind of 
tone, I guess, because there's just, hmm. there's a, I think, especially in live action, there's only so far you can go with brand before it starts to become wacky, and I don't know if they necessarily want to yeah. do that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably what I'm looking forward to seeing most is how they, how they incorporate brand going forward, because it's easy to kind of, you know, you, you can keep, you, can, you don't have to do much with him when you're just keeping him off stage and just training him, just using him for exposition, but when push comes to shove and he's actually at the core of the magical fight, I'm interested to see what they do with him. Yeah, Brand, Brand's role so far is a lot of it has just been to reveal past mysteries. <laughs> so what past mysteries are left? So yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about that too. Well, we'll definitely have a, a Brand-focused chat one of these days. But for now, we'll move on. Eliana, what do you think about, what is your, what are you looking forward to for season eight as far as uh, book crossover stuff? At least what's occurred to you so far? I'm also really looking forward to seeing the elephants and, you know, Harry Strickland's favorite elephant, Little Pussy. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> How random is that? So I, it's, he really <laughs> likes that elephant. <laughs> and, you know, what's going on with him? The two big Rolorians that we have left now, like what's going on with Beric? How does that set the tone for what we're gonna, we can expect of Lady Stoneheart? And then also, what's up with Melisandre? What sort of role is she playing that she goes to Essos, but like has left us with that little nugget of "I'm coming back to die." <laughs> yeah, to yeah. die. So and so are you, Varys. Like ah, uh. <laughs> it's the worst death pack ever. <laughs> Alright, Val, your turn. What are you uh, looking forward to with book crossover stuff for season 8? Well, you just reminded me of uh, one big thing I was I was looking forward to seeing that um, Beric, given his last life, because they keep bringing up that last life he has, um, giving it up to someone with a kiss of life, like in the books. So, I was hoping he would give it to uh, to Danny. Maybe Danny has to sacri- sacrifice herself. Mm. And then Beric is there to, you know, bring her back for us type of thing um and also well the, oh. the fact that danny uh, started to get uh you know her period again in the book so maybe you know seeing that in the in the show mm-hmm. for her to be able to to have a baby again so yeah <laughs> danny and john will match then they'll both have come back to life <laughs> yeah that's what you need for their for their genitals to line up properly to make a baby you know? <laughs> oh my god okay I think we got that covered. Let's move on to the next one. From which is... GBNF, I believe one of the main reasons why the Night King is marching south is that the Night's King is that the Night's Watch killed Craster, who was under the Night's King Night King's protection. Love the show. Hmm. That is interesting. I mean, certainly, I guess a lot of his men are related to Craster, <laughs> assuming that Craster's sons have grown up and aren't like little toddler. Teenage White Walkers. It's a blood feud type situation. Isn't it? I have seen people theorize that they're, what are they doing? What's the Night King's goal? What's their mission? They're going to get Sam's baby. Or Gilly's baby, I should say. Craster mm-hmm. is such an outlier that he's a fount of, of theories because of it's just, what is the deal with this guy? How did he arrange this process in the first place? Yeah. It's it's puzzling. I'm, I'm suspicious, though, because I feel like the White Walkers were on. I don't know if on the move is quite the right word, but we were seeing them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. it seems like they were just this myth that if they ever existed, it was centuries ago, you know? But then we see them appearing left and right before Craster has been eliminated, yeah. you know? So... They were attacking the Night's Watch before Craster was... Yeah. Anything happened to Craster. Yeah. yeah. That is a, a problem with that. So idea. maybe it's connected. Maybe the Night King had a vision that the Night Watch was going to kill him. 
And so mm. he started mobilizing forces in response to that. You know, who knows? Yeah, I wonder, or it's possible to flip this around. Maybe Craster is part of why the White Walkers started returning. Maybe him, yeah. you know, that's something that theory too. I'm not necessarily endorsing either of these ideas, but they're pretty cool thoughts. All right, so who else has a take on, on Craster in general or any other motivation for the Night King? We could do a whole episode on motivations for the Night King. That's yeah, true. it's a popular subject, I think. People like yeah. uh, speculating on whether, you know, the Night King is in the right in some way. Mm-hmm. It's very true. I think yeah, I think with Craster, he always struck me more as like humanity's model for surviving the others versus the others' model for surviving. Like Craster is like this is the only way you survive under other occupation. Like you sell out your kids to the others. Like this is this is the only way you get past the long night. And then, yeah, like the others, I think yeah you know, they they certainly rely on it, but I, they probably have other wildlings they could draw upon or. Some other method. I mean, but yeah, overall, I definitely agree with Sean. Like, we already had the battle of the Fist of the First Men. We already had them killing way more Royce at the beginning. They were already on the move and active long before the Night's Watch messed with Craster. So, yeah, on the whole, I probably would say no. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Either Val or Eliana, do you have a take here? No. Well, the whole idea of, like, what made him start getting on the, on the move is the one yeah. that, you know, I have the most trouble with i don't i don't really know but i just i just like the idea that he was turning um craster's babies into white walkers and not any other human basically because there's gonna be a reason why he picked craster but i figured it was because babies uh, don't have the uh that that sinful human um mind type of thing that they haven't <laughs> been taught yet what war is and they have no desire to uh to cause any harm to anyone so i figured that's why the the night king preferred babies but i don't know why craster's babies specifically yeah so many craster theories craster's a star craster's a targaryen craster is this or <laughs> that yeah i mean and i can't there's really nothing for the most part there's not a lot to prove or disprove any of these ideas I had uh, someone inspired a thought on me. They're, they pointed out how unusual it was, like early on when Sam saw the White Walkers and he just passed by him. Remember yeah. that north of the wall? And one of them just looked right at him. One of the, not just the zombies, but one of the White Walkers looked at him and just kept going, kept moving past. And at the time, uh, until this season, I guess, I've been mostly just chalking that up to he's just too insignificant. He's not even worth them stopping to kill. You know what I mean? But I started thinking a lot about when the Night King had all the Magnificent Seven on that ledge and just waited through the night or maybe even multiple nights. He had this spear that could take yeah, down a flying dragon in the air. He could have taken those guys off that cliff, but he didn't. And I was assuming it was part of a master plan to lower the dragon there. Once the dragon's there, he still shoots down the dragon in the air instead of the one on the ground. Mm-hmm with all those characters nearby, and it started to make me think that maybe he specifically wants John or Danny or maybe Barrack to live. Maybe he specifically wasn't coming. In fact, when the dragon does take off without John, he then tries to throw another spear at him. <laughs> so it made me wonder if maybe he wants, for some reason, he wants mm. John to live. Maybe he wants Sam to live. It made me start thinking about that. Maybe that time when he let Sam they go, when he just passed out. For some reason, Sam needs to survive to play some role in some future destiny. You know? The concept of certain people having special blood is certainly all over yeah. the, the series. And if Sam is protecting that baby that was meant for the White Walkers, 
Maybe Sam needs to live. Well, I had an idea you know? for for Sam being spared, and it had to do with the same thing that I was just talking about. Is that if the Night King only attacks people who are in his twisted way of thinking evil because they start war and, and cause harm, that the biggest thing that we know about Sam is that he can't hurt anything. It's impossible for him to hurt anyone. He would never go to war. He would never He would never learn how to he fight. He would never kill a White Walker. Oh, wait. Well, but that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but maybe, maybe killing a White Walker isn't... Uh, what the Night King sees as starting wars type of, I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. it has something to do with Sam being very, you know, peaceful. <laughs> Gilly's kid is gonna grow up and be pissed that Sam killed his brother. <laughs> 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 that was my older brother that you stabbed with Dragon Glass. Alright, let's move on to the next one. We All have right, from Micharia. From, yeah, from Micaria Stark. That's I, a cool name. <laughs> I asked, how do you think the Dothraki will fare in the snow? How will they handle the cold? And this is the question Aziz and I have talked about before, this specifically and other things, just that we really want to see this culture shock from the Dothraki. It's one of my biggest disappointments of the season is that we haven't seen really any personality from the Dothraki at all. They're just sort of a nameless, faceless horde, which isn't great. And I think it's really good TV that they could show, like, as seeing the Dothraki react to snow, you know, in the north, that's just good TV, right? That would be awesome. I would really like to see that. And it makes sense. You know, they're not just them, but they're horses and stuff. These These animals aren't used to this at all. And I think that just the regular Northerners are going to eventually start struggling. I mean, we've seen that's foreshadowed a bit with Sansa getting, you know, the lining, the wanting the leather on those breastplates and making sure they have enough food. I think Jorah, when they were on that ledge, made some comments like, we can't last out here forever. We're going to freeze to death, you know? Yeah. So I think that is probably going to come up because I think the effects of winter is something that they've just sort of touched on, but they're kind of going to touch on it a lot more in season eight. That's my it's my prediction anyway. And the Dothraki should be a big part of that. It should be, you know, uh, uh, maybe they should be affected more than anybody. I was really looking forward to John mining the dragon glass there. They even made some comment. Someone told John, go ask. Go ask the Dothraki what they think of Danny. You know, yeah, too bad we didn't find get out that. And I really thought that was going to happen. I thought they were going to be down there <laughs> with... Axes chipping away, dragon glass, having conversations about you know Dothraki life. Dothraki asking John about things, John asking them about things, and I was really looking forward to that. I thought they set that up, and he didn't do it, and now I'm afraid it's not going to happen. <laughs> All right, who else has a take on the Dothraki in the snow? I wonder if it plays into like you know they had that legend right that Dothraki did about the ghost. Girls. Yeah. So maybe they're going to see the snow and they're going to be like, I'm out. This is the ghost grass and we need to go back or I don't, I don't know. Or maybe they'll be like, this is our only chance to fight back death. So hmm, that's a good take. I never thought about comparing it to their ghost grass legend. That's a really cool idea. They do have this sort of end apocalyptic sort of Ragnarokish sort of uh, aspect to their beliefs. That's It's much more slowly playing out instead of just one big apocalypse. It's a very slow apocalypse. It's just, Gradually, ghost grass will kill everything. <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to the next question. All right, from JB T Jom. I don't know. GBT Jom. Oh, okay, that's TJ. D and D have alluded to three oh shit moments Martin told them about. The mm. first two were Shireen and Hodor. The third will be at the very end. Any ideas on what the third might be? Mm. I would go with the death of John, Danny, both. 
one one or both. I would go with Ooh. their deaths. That would be really surprising. Yep. Ooh, okay. Same. Wow. Okay. Quick group. <laughs> Same. I, I, I don't know about John, but I definitely think Danny. Yeah. yeah. Like Nissa Nissa type stuff? You guys are on the Nissa Nissa train, basically? Yeah, I, I lean towards Danny dying, but I also think it's possible, slash I want both of them to just die. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, complete same. I would say that's that's definitely the twist they're leaning towards there. And yeah, Danny's probably more likely than John, but yeah, I would lean towards both. What about you, Sean? You got a you got a, a prediction here? Especially given that both of those other moments, Shireen killed by her own father, Death. somewhat condoned by her own mother, Hodor, you know, arguably killed by, by Brand, yeah. you know, like. Uh, it, you could see two people who ostensibly wow. care about each other having to kill one of each other. I, yeah. I've many times kind of theorized the idea that what the Night King wants is for dragons to not be in Westeros. And he and John is going to be this mediator since he's ice and fire between the Night King and Danny. John's going to have to go tell Danny, you have to leave. I know we just got <laughs> married. I know you're pregnant with my baby, but if we're going to save the world, you can't be in Westeros. You're not even the rightful heir anyway. Get out. I'm not leaving. I killed the Tarleys to be be here. (laughs) I I have long been a defender of the possibility of Tyrion Targaryen, not someone who says, oh, he's definitely Targaryen. I think it's still less likely than, than possible. This idea is something that has dropped off in my mind, given what we've seen this season. At least as far as if you're com- trying to figure out what happens in the books based on the show, which is often a fail. Like, often that doesn't work. But when Viserion died, that made me think a lot about the, maybe Tyrion isn't going to ride a dragon at all, let alone be a Targaryen. You know, that certainly threw, that was a cur- major curveball to some of these expectations. So I, like, uh, if you had asked me a year ago, I'd be like, that would be one of the possibilities for me. Like, ah, Tyrion's actually a Targaryen. That would be a, an oh shit moment for, for Dan and Dave. They wouldn't have caught that. But I like, I think Danny's death or John's permanent death is a lot more of an oh, oh shit moment and a lot more likely at this point. I think Tyrion Targaryen is fading as a possibility. <laughs> Certainly in the show, it's almost dead completely. Yeah. I would have said that uh, this Viserion thing could have been that moment, but this isn't the very end. For one, yeah, and I don't right. get the impression that this is what they were told. And so, I don't think anyone had as an emotional. Well, very few people, I think, had as a big reaction to the dragon dying as they did to Shireen. Not that, not that the dragon dying wasn't a big deal, yeah. but Shireen it wasn't was an emotional, a bigger deal. Yeah, yeah, Shireen. I mean, you have Carrie Ingram's like amazing yeah. acting, like just like hitting. I would say I think Hodor was the most emotional of those three for people. For me, I think uh, Shireen was the most emotional, then the dragon, then Hodor. But I think Hodor was widely considered to the fandom. Yeah, to yeah. the fandom. Yeah. We got more. Reaction on Hodor's death, like our show, got more reaction for Hodor's death than than the others. That's for sure. So, from King Stork one predictions for the final scene of season eight, episode six. Wow! For example: a new batch of dragon eggs hatching in the dragon pit as Jon Snow, Lyanna Mormont, and Sir Pounce look on. <laughs> that's quite good. It will definitely involve I, Sir I Pounce. I think but. for sure it's a pretty popular <laughs> idea for the final shot to be something to do with dragon eggs. The idea that. Time is cyclical and that, you know, this is going to happen again. The dragons are going to hash, hatch again after the dragons have, you know, maybe died completely at the end of the season. So mm. I think that's a strong possibility. I would like it if there was something more with some direwolf action maybe as well. Ooh. A new little uh, little bit of pups. The direwolves have had puppies. I don't know. I like Sam sitting down to write it. Yeah. That's a yeah. good one. I, like, I, don't, I don't know that it's more likely than any other ideas, but I just really like that idea. I'll let other people go first, so I'll steal their idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's going next? Eliana, let's hear from you. 
I got distracted by wondering how the dire wolf would get along with Sir Pounds. Like, is it going to be like cats and dogs? But, um... Yeah, I don't know. I'm torn. On one hand, I kind of... I've always actually imagined, not necessarily the last uh, scene of the show, but, like, the books ending more with the idea of the death of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to necessarily... Uh, the cyclical nature, but the cyclical nature does fit into the whole bittersweet thing, so... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think it will end with the death of magic, so to speak, that there will, you know, there won't be dragons, there won't be big magic users all over the realm. A lot of them will die, I think. Here's something I just thought of. If if magic dies out, do people, are people who are animated... Like, oh, yeah. risen from the dead, mm. they just drop. It's like, John just be like, ah, this kills me too. <laughs> Interesting. All right, who haven't we heard from yet? Emmett and uh, Val? Yeah. I agree. I do like the image of Sam sitting down to write the story. That does appeal to me greatly, especially in a Lord of the Ringsy kind of way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I could see the last show being like a hint of like, you know, magic is mostly gone, but maybe there's a little bit, bit of it left, like on Dragon Egg, or on like a hint that the others will come back eventually, or like, you know, maybe like, you know, magic is gone for now, you know, ellipsis question mark. I guess there's <laughs> something in that vein. For now. <laughs> exactly. Val, what about you? Yeah, I don't have any really cool ideas. It's basically what you guys are saying. Um, just some hint that and things will repeat themselves again. Mm, maybe like one white walker still out there. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. That's what I think. I think we're going to see some eyes open and they're going to be blue. Or <laughs> one little hand just like crawling. <laughs> and you you think Sansa will sit thrown at the end, right, Sean? I I don't... I mean, I mean, the last scene, but... I don't specifically think that. You just I, hope it. But I think it is in the realm of possibilities, you know, maybe even a likelihood, but... That would be cool. I, I'm okay with Sansa finishing things up on the throne. That, that's better than a lot of the other possibilities. <laughs> okay, uh, next, next super chat. Yeah, from Nose Kills or Nose Skill. No, Nose Kills. Okay. <laughs> uh, sorry about skipping ahead, but I wake up for work in five hours. Night King's dragon breathes fire, according to the showrunners. So I guess he has to be careful not to burn his army. Probably can't create whites with it. Bad deal. That is something I've, I mentioned. We with some notes for how the Night King. That's kind of an unusual situation for him. Yeah, he doesn't he look burned. Him a little bit. Yeah, he can he can attack structures and and things and, and other armies. My thought on that, by the way, is whatever it doesn't matter. If you just kill all the bad guys' armies and you can't raise them, so what? You killed all the bad guys' armies. You know? <laughs> he already has a huge army. He can take down any castle with this dragon. Oftentimes, armies who can't raise their dead send troops on suicide missions just because they have to take that hill or have to get across that wall or whatever. So hmm. I think it'll be a calculated loss. I, maybe he'll avoid it, but I think he'll, he's definitely going to be willing to do it. Yeah, I agree. It, it seems it's not, you know, he wants to raise as many dead as he can, but. So be it. If a few of them are incinerated, any other thoughts yeah, on know, this? Remember the Night King sending like a bunch of whites just over the cliff at Hard Home, just collapsing into a pile at the bottom. Like they're yeah, they're purely disposable troops as far as he's concerned, which I think is part of the point. Like there's a you know there's the grain analogy to how that's how the lords treat commoners in war is just you know an empty cannon father, and the Night King is just kind of like the ultimate exaggeration of that. So yeah, I think if he has to. Not have more whites or burn the whites he has. He's he will be totally fine with that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Um. That's a good question. And here's one another one. <laughs> uh, from Erin Habig. This is for Acre Frey. She wants our three guests. 
to say Irish wristwatch. Now, this has been becoming a bit of a uh, thing on our show. Acre Frey asking people, asking us to say Irish wristwatch. So, all right, the three of you have to say Irish wristwatch. Has this made it sound easy? You guys might want to like. I've had practice. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time. No, no. Okay, you first, Ileana, because you asked. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Irish wristwatch. <laughs> Irish wristwatch. It's hard. <laughs> Okay, Val. <laughs> I actually saw that question earlier and I was trying to say it in my head. You're practicing. <laughs> uh, okay. Irish wrist watch. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I can do, I can right. do this. Irish wrist watch. Hey. There we yes. go. Yes. Oh, <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, and have it. Yeah. Irish wrist watch. <laughs> you guys are cheating. You're saying it slow. Right. Three times fast. Faster. <laughs> faster. <laughs> Irish wristwatch. Yeah. Irish wristwatch. Right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it's All so right. hard. Why is that so hard? Uh, all right. Another super chat from the snow in Winterfell. I'm not letting the snow change. The show change. Any thoughts on the books? Too different now. Show is foreshadowing John on Drogon. Team Aemon forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was foreshadowing for him on Dragon. I, I don't know if I think that it was foreshadowing for him on Dragon, though. I think it was just. John has a dragon connection. I hope it was that, not writing Drogon. I, I agree with Lord Mark that it's possible. I'm not sure that I agree that it was foreshadowing, but it's it's possible. Considering it in that light is interesting. Especially I, I definitely if, did. That if was you my consider that Danny dies without Drogon dying first, then maybe then John would arrive Drogon yes. next, but that still leaves Rhaegal in the lurch with no one riding yeah. him potentially. Tyrion. Exactly. Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrion on Rhaegal. That's how Tyrion stays in there. No, obviously we're just going to see like ten people on Rhaegal. <laughs> yeah, this is all right. Mean, we saw seven Rhaegal. people on Drogon. Exactly, yeah. so they're just going to ride on him. Jor, Jor proved that he can ride a dragon. <laughs> Barely. Any other takes on this one? Any of you guys have thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's possible. It's possible that they used Drogon because it was too expensive expensive to change the color to green and show Rhaegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but 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 when uh, when John said uh, to Tyrion that he's uh, not a Stark, apparently the dragon that flew over him right at that moment was Rhaegal. So I still think there's a connection between Rhaegal and mm. John. Yeah, um, I would like to see him ride Rhaegal instead. It would make sense, you know, like that's the one named after his dad. It just seems to fit, but we'll have to yeah. see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a, sh- uh, a quote from or a chat from. Uh, Mm-hmm. Our friends over at B-Tit there. We could say, hey, B-Tit. Hey, oh, Behind the Iron Throne. Hi, guys. How hard it is to keep up with this chat. I didn't even see it. Mm-hmm. Yes, hello. Next super chat from Pino123. Hey, uh, Joe. Good hey, friend. buddy. <laughs> Season 8 will reveal that magical power is dependent on beard life. Sean wins. <laughs> Easy well, top wins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grandmaster Pycelle would have won, I guess. That's why some of those walkers have beards. <laughs> I understand. All right. We've got one more super chat before we can move on to our next section. From Nicaria Stark. Do you think that people will be safe in Winterfell from the White Walkers? Do you think there is some magic there? I don't hmm? think they're safe from Viserion. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it's true. <laughs> but I don't think they are either. But it does seem like there's some magic involved in Winterfell. Yeah, maybe it's kind of along the lines of Storm's End, and we did see that on the show with Melisandre needed Davos to, to bring her in there. Supposedly, you know, book canon says some of that same magic might be there at Winterfell as well. We don't have any sort of, as far as I know, I don't think there's any proof of that. It's just kind of a legend. Um, but 
I I'm curious to see. Anyone else have a thought on that? I mean, it's you know, it's in the name Winterfell as the reason for the castle's existence for sure. I can't remember. Did they emphasize on the show at all, like the whole greenhouses and hot water being piped through the castle? Has that ever come up? I don't remember. I don't it ever think coming it has. Up. If it has, it might have. Only time I think it might have come up is in like the history and lore animated videos. Maybe, maybe. Right, right, exactly. That's, yeah, I think you're probably right. So in that case, I mean, it, it probably won't be uh, emphasized as a special castle in terms of being besieged by the others. I think there are hints in the book that it was designed after the Battle for the Dawn to, like, you know, deal with the next other's invasion or prepare for another one. But, yeah, if they haven't emphasized that in the show, then it's probably just going to be presented as just another castle. And, like, and yeah, like you say, it's not going to be a defense against an ice dragon for sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I, I lied when I said we were moving on. We got another super chat from the Snow Winterfell saying he agrees John should ride Rhaegal and Tyrion should ride Viserion, but the show doesn't really make sense and Viserion, you know what I mean. I will mention, I think that I, I like that some people pointed out the idea that Viserion isn't necessarily lost for good. That the dragon is a slave that, stuff. That, that, yeah, the, the, the dragon is not a slave, that Bran could skin change into Viserion, or that maybe John could still forge some sort of connection due to being undead, or in the books if something like this happens or due, to his, due to his own skin changing. <laughs> uh, certainly Tyrion doesn't seem to have any abilities like those, but uh, I guess. Yeah. He definitely walked down to those dragon pits and took the chains off. Yeah, just me, in terms of interacting up. with an undead dragon, yeah. John and Bran have an angle that we could go on, Tyrion, not so much. Mm. Okay, well, let's... Yet. Maybe yeah. he gets killed, <laughs> comes back. You need to be dead to ride an undead dragon. <laughs> okay, let's take care of our mid-roll shout-outs real quick, and then we'll come back and talk about the army of the dead, and we'll go from there. So, first off, thanks to our blood riders. That's Kohal Koei, master of the bow, called Sunpiercer, who fired a grayscale-infected arrow... Uh, at uh, a certain gentleman who deserved it, and he is dying slowly and painfully. A certain gentleman, huh? Yeah, certain very bad gentleman. <laughs> Vorsaki is wielder of a Valyrian steel arak with a dragon gl- bone hill. I almost said dragon glass for the second week in a row. Mm-hmm. And that is a badass weapon, and she is a badass fighter. We also have Stefania, first name Kalaki Bloodrider, wielder of Orvik Ki Vorsa, which is the whip of fire. And that is pretty sweet. We also have we also have our Queen of Love and Beauty. That's Casey of House Chickawawa from Tormund Giants Wang, who says our love is forever. And also a shout out to our Patreon Sellsword captains who are who are led off by Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, Captain of the Werewood Wanderers, to Long Lives, Quick Deaths, Cold Beer, and Warm Women. Dagron is Marshal of the Axe, Captain of the Red Tide, Resistance is Futile. Garion Pike is wielder of Grave Embrace, a Valerian Steel Axe, Captain of the Iron Wave, Iron's Kiss is Eternal. Chiron Carlsbane is Captain of the Stone Shields, the Torrent Breaks Upon the Stone. Captain Kithic Deadeye is of the Scarlet Longbows, Pierced by Darkness. Caribou Shard is Captain of the Walking Drum. Their motto is Yelbosan, which translates to May There Be a Road. Hema Helminth is Captain of the Whispering Children, Dead Men Tell No Secrets. Lady Lajara Dajo is the Iron Lily, Master Archer, Castellan of the Summer Island Keep, Arboreal Point, and Captain of the All-Female Wailing Widows. Their motto is Women and Children First. Cody the Crimson is 
ba- the Bastard of Bracken, Captain of the Red Waste Exiles, and Recruiter of the Free Folk. And finally, Cameron, the Hammer of Hornwood, Captain of the English Lions, with the motto, Honor is the Reward of Virtue. Very cool. Okay, so... Um, thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon, and we have a lot of variety of uh, sell, uh, titles and rewards that you can get to by going to historyofwesteros.com and clicking on the Patreon link, and there's a lot of other ways to support the show there as well. Check out our supporters page for a lot of other cool, fun nicknames like that. Some of them don't get regular shout-outs, but they're really fun names. Okay, so... Uh, Army of the Dead, right? Yeah, let's talk about the Army of the Dead. And at this rate, I don't think we're going to get to our Jamie topic. So apologize to anyone who is particularly looking forward to that. We're going to save, most likely have to save that for another time. Vals, this, is your, uh, this was your topic that you're particularly interested in, so let's let you get this rolling. Obviously, we know that they've just breached the wall, and most people don't even know that yet. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... Um... It's it's hard to say with a with a show's timeline what's gonna happen first and, and what's gonna happen after. Like it's it's entirely possible for Danny and John to get all of their people to Winterfell before the Night King gets there. Uh, even though we saw the Night King just you know p- going through the wall in the last episode, but um, that that's a huge argument. Is what's gonna happen at Winterfell because we know we know that um it's possible that uh, Danny's vision meant that the night king goes all the way down to king's landing at some point so and i do think that one thing that i see happening is like the the night king will either if the night king has to go south i don't think the night king will end up killing everyone in winterfell before he goes south. I feel like he will maybe cause some damage there and then he will move south. Maybe that's where he's interested in going the most and they will kind of just, you know, uh, obviously they will find some resistance there at Winterfell and going south, but they will continue to move south, I find. Maybe the, maybe the Night King will go, um, skip Winterfell. And, uh, oh, I had a really good idea. Now, it, now mm-hmm. I lost it. Um, but yeah, uh, so what do you guys think about what's happening in Winterfell while I think about that? Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was the idea that the showrunners and people behind the show talked about how, you know, we need to remember that things don't happen concurrently necessarily. Like, we might see Sam doing something and John doing something, but Sam's, you know, plotline might be happening a couple months earlier or later, and with the Night King crossing, breaking the wall, I, I, I can't be sure whether that happened while John and Danny are on their way to Winterfell, or technically if that's happening after they've arrived. Yeah, we do know, well, we know at least one thing. We know that when it happens in context with regards to Sam, because Sam sees that happen with the Ravens. Like Sam, or not Sam, but yeah. Bran, is watching the Ravens, mm-hmm. is in the Ravens when they come through the wall. So we know it's concurrent with Sam and Bran's scene. We saw that last scene through the, the eyes of Sam's Raven, or Bran's Ravens, didn't we? I don't think so. I thought we did. I, I know really we saw them coming so, that way, but he I was checking on them again. <laughs> Even if we did, it's still possible oh, yeah, that Bran saw something to the Ravens in the future, or two weeks ago, or something, you know? It's possible, yeah. But in any case, uh, but that, that, that's still, regardless, that's still a great point. Um, the timeline isn't exactly clear. What do people think of, as far as how news will spread there? I mean, it could be just as simple as Bran sees it. That might be all it takes. Bran's like, hey, look what I just saw. <laughs> Did this happen yet? Or, or is this in real time? If he was looking through the Ravens, then that's real time. That's not the vision of the future. That's real time. So I think we can be pretty sure it was real time. Yes. 
Yeah, no, and I find like every time Bran is talking about his abilities in the show, he he never says that he can see the future. He's only ever said I can see the past and I can see what's happening right now. Yeah. So, and I feel like well, if, if they gave him the power of seeing the future, it would be like OP thing. We we got I two mean, examples of him seeing the we future. We have it, and, and one of the examples I feel like he should know that he saw the future because one of them was the wildfire explosion, which was a big enough event that he would have heard about it and maybe put those pieces together. Yeah, but he has. Yeah, well, it's and possible other, that maybe he's not powerful enough yet to see the future clearly. Yeah, he saw that vision just, it came to him, but he didn't choose to see it. It's just something that kind of mm. flashed it through his mind. And the other the other one she's referring to is Bran seeing the shadow of a dragon over King's Landing, which he wouldn't know that that's necessarily the future. So that one's ambiguous. But the wildfire one, I mean, he should know about the sept blowing up. and yeah. Yeah, for sure. Of course, it's interspersed with the Mad King yelling, burn them all, so maybe that's confusing to him. Yeah, he maybe doesn't know what he saw. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Again, I didn't really consider the timing, but I like the idea that... So Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire is supposed to be a story about consequences built from characters' actions and their own desires, that Daenerys and Jon had the option to get to Winterfell faster, but they chose to take the longer way. Now, if they miss... Uh. Uh, getting there in time, because and the White Walkers take Winterfell, then that becomes a consequence for them putting their own desires and putting one another in front of their own duty to the realm. Mm. So, I like that idea that went there. That's a good call. Yeah. Wow. If they if they if the Night King comes and takes Winterfell while they're busy banging, that's that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> I wonder where, you know, Sansa and Arya and Bran and them would escape to, or if we just would never see a reunion. That's my thought, is that they might evacuate Winterfell. If, yeah. If mm-hmm. a vision from Bran slash Tormund and Beric show up, like, they're on the way, well, we'll stand here and fight them. No, they have a dragon. We <laughs> have to go, and Winterfell just gets evacuated. That's one of the things, why, by the way, one of the reasons I want to talk about Jamie. It's too bad we're not going to have time for that. But one thing I will bring up about Jamie is interesting. Is some one, one bit of value that he can add to the group. Is he's the only one who's been on the receiving end of a dragon in battle. Like, Danny and John have been on the side of a dragon, but they haven't fought against one yet. Well, I mean, unless you want to count what happened at the wall. That wasn't really a battle, though. That was really everyone running away. <laughs> so no one has faced a dragon at Winterfell except... Presumably Jamie who's going there. So that is kind of interesting. Not that he necessarily has a lot to say about it other than, yeah, we don't want to fade a face. He would, say, he would say evacuate Winterfell. Yeah. yeah. He would, which which might, they might take that the wrong way. Like, why are we listening to Jamie Lannister's advice here? He wants us to leave Winterfell. It may just come out. It may just be so obvious. Like, yeah, we really need to get out of here. This army is 100,000 dead, maybe more. Does anyone thought about the possibility of some of the stuff that's foreshadowed in the books? is that there's, like, these ancient burial graves, like the Barrows and all these other spots in the north that the, the, the walkers might add to their army through. All the Starks and the Crypts. Yeah, the, the Starks and the Crypts is another theory. That's uh, that's pretty creepy to think about. <laughs> um, is Brandon Yeah, I've thought about that, yeah. That would be really cool. Mm-hmm. What's everyone's expectation for where they'll hit first? Will it just be... The Umberlands, because that should be the first spot there in their way. They may not, we may not, this show might kind of skip past that. But it is kind of funny that the Umber and Karstark lands are basically the first two up in their path. And those are the two that were just given to children. <laughs> so, hmm. 
Yeah, that that might have been intentional on their part, just to introduce those two, just so we have like a focal point for those two houses, so we they have named characters to to kill off basically when the others hit, just so we can understand their like their geographic progression. Yeah, but that yeah, they'll probably just like hear about it in Winterfell, like you know. We love, you know, we've, we've lost all all contact from Last Hearth and Carhold, and that's how they, you know, they know that something's gone horribly wrong. Oh, I was gonna say, name characters to kill off plus John. I mean, I know that Leona Mormont's done a pretty good job, but you put children in charge of the, your, the castles that you had to fortify. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be awful, especially if Leona Mormont went, you know, for all three of those young children to wow. be added. That would uh, definitely. Uh, upset mm-hmm. some people. It's kind of an interesting trick. It might be clever. It might be some clever writing on their part. They made both, they created this scene where they got to have this debate about whether these two were guilty for the actions of their family. Yet, we don't really get to know them. Yet, because they're children, if they're killed, we'll feel bad for them even though we don't know who they are. You know, it's still like, oh, those were kids, though. Like, it, yeah. if it's two random adult characters, it's just not going to matter as much to us. We'll still be like, oh, those two poor northerners were killed. But we know the, these two kids. That just kind of has more emotional resonance, you know? So maybe that was that might have been part of their thinking. If so, that was a lot of... They, uh, we got a lot out of uh, those two kids without realizing it. <laughs> I wonder where Leona Mormont is as well. Uh, she might be safer than most. I mean, uh, yeah, if she went back to Bear Island, she's like Euron, sitting yeah. on her island until... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> right. I don't imagine her just sitting out of the action, though. So. Yeah. What about White Harbor? You guys have any takes? on Anyone have thoughts about White Harbor being like a, a hot target for Night King because it's got more people, you know? I mean, we certainly had it mentioned by John and them about them traveling through there, which makes me think that we maybe we'll see it, but I'm still pretty pessimistic about it that they just haven't really set the stage at all for us to care about these characters in White Harbor or even know anything about this city. Agreed, yeah. They've done so much work with the Manderleys in the books and setting up White Harbor as a potential kind of, if not a place of refuge, just kind of a central place in the north for, you know, um, holding the line against the others. We just got a great pun from Joe Magician that confirms that this will happen, just so you all know. Joe Magician says, you mean White Harbor. Uh, uh, oh, there's already so many, these, these these locations have puns built in. I don't know if we have White Harbor, but we have Night King's Landing. Uh... There's got to be more than that, right? Not just those two, right? <laughs> we'll point them out as we get there. And someone else made the joke in our last stream, uh, and now East Watch is ended. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The puns don't stop on the History of Westeros stream. No, no, they don't. Another interesting question is how will Viserion be used? Night King has this new powerful weapon as part of his army. What will he do with it? Will he, you know... Fly farther south, scout ahead. Will he, you know, torch castles? Will just I, who who has an idea here? It seems like there's a lot of possibilities. He's it's an air force. Yeah. His dragons are going to come to breathe fire on his troops. His dragons going to attack their dragons. Mm. That I think that will be the role. That okay. and taking down castle walls. But cool. That's going to be so amazing to see on screen. You know, <laughs> I prefer character stories and character development, but. I, I like hot, hot dragon action. <laughs> I've seen a lot of car chases and gunfights. You know, I've seen a lot of... I haven't seen a lot of aerial dragon combat. So. Yeah, you know, there is a dearth of that in uh, popular media. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hey, the movie Dunkirk. You take some examples from them. <laughs> That's true. That was pretty yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, well, I think that... Um, 
I don't know if this is too far-fetched, but I really want... I don't know when it would happen during the season, but I really want Bran to be the one who helps there. It's just when he sees his... Uh, maybe his, his home being attacked because he has his deep connection with uh, with Winterfell, um, that maybe that pushes him to use his powers in different ways, and, and that's when he gets to work into the Ice Dragon, kind of push him away from Winterfell. And then when the Night King realizes that his Ice Dragon has been taken control over by Bran, that's when he flies away, trying to escape that uh, Bran's possession, in a way. Um, or Wargin. Um, but, yeah, but, then, but then again, I start thinking, like, how is this... How does the magic of this dragon work? Because it's 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 not fire because if it were a fire it would just kill the dragon instantly when it breathes a bit it's blue fire so is it cold is it like is it is it using energy like how does it destroy castle walls because how did it destroy the wall in the first place was it just a, a wave of energy that was hitting the ice because uh, you know was it hot in any way uh, was it just magic uh, i mean I, I like to have an explanation all for that. All of the above. <laughs> Sean says all of the above. <laughs> I think the showrunner said that it was fire, but I still think that could be a pretty broad term. A lot of different... They could be ice fire or magic fire. I th- Nothing one, burns like the cold is kind of a yeah. you know, thing. One, one thing I supposed was it whether it's ice or fire or magic, whatever it is, it's just the actual blast itself taken down the, force, the castle yeah. walls, the force of the blast, whether it's hot or cold or magical or whatever. And we certainly see yeah. that. I mean, dragon fire is hotter than regular fire. So Viserion's like magical undead fire should, yeah. <laughs> Something, <laughs> something's going on there. It's like a negative fire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another, another factor here is the long night itself and winter. I mean, th- wherever this army goes, it brings the cold with it. We've seen the like kind of spiraling cold thing that comes with the army as they move and that's obviously going to play some sort of impact and it's it seems to be part of why they've moved a little slower in in the shorter term is because they were kind of waiting for winter to take hold that's been kind of a long-standing almost i wouldn't even call it a theory necessarily kind of a belief that a lot of people hold and that's got to be huge too i mean just thinking about them in a siege situation if they're just standing outside your castle, just kind of waiting, starving you out, are they, like, making it freezing inside the walls while you're sitting there? Like, I can imagine that's the thing, because they're just bringing winter with them. And it's also just a challenge for the show. Like, if they're going to have a real long night, I mean, graphically speaking, how do they... Shooting that seems like a challenge. all the time. Yeah, like, how do they sh- film that? So I wonder if they're going to dispense with some of the darkness, you know, just just for physically just for shooting purposes just for filming this you know that's a real big challenge for them i really wonder how they're going to handle that so but i do think winter is going to matter a lot like we talked about the dothraki before and all that so that's something that has to be considered but it's kind of difficult to predict another interesting concept to think about is the night king the potential for the night king to have hand-to-hand fighting scenes now riding a dragon kind of makes that less likely you know he's flying around he's kind of out of Who's going to hit him with a sword when he's up there flying around? Mm-hmm. I always thought that people would fight. Someone would fight him because he's... That's Vladimir Furtick, who is the, you know one of the lead stunt guys for the show. And he's the guy who filmed Arthur Dane's fight scene. So he knows how to fight, like, for real. So mm-hmm. it seems like they might want to do that. But I don't know. Maybe now that he's got a dragon, it gets a lot less likely. I think the dragon will come down. He'll hop off and 
hack and slash chop some people yeah. down yeah i really after this season i really just i never had one cared or thought about this idea before but i really just want Arya to do it mm. whether it's through like a dagger through sneaking up on him not just brute force fighting or whether it's through an you know an arrow archery's been foreshadowed archery, yeah, huh? just, yes. something like that i would love it that scene right where she's talking about firing arrows at night when no yeah. one else is around <laughs> right when, when the father turned out to be watching her but she thought she was by herself she just had the yes. one arrow over and over the one arrow <laughs> I like that but there is someone who already has the appropriate title for this job Jamie is the Kingslayer <laughs> oh my god and has a Valerian steel sword he does that is pretty and cool is on his way right on this is true. They have they have set up John staring down a couple times though, so yeah. obvious a choice as it is. I think if they're going to give him give anybody the the executioner executioner's job as far as Night King is concerned, it's probably John. But yeah, I agree. I think you know, I I hope we get to see him on 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 the ground just more hand to hand. Although if they are foreshadowing John becoming a dragon rider in his own right, maybe that's how they'll get that duel done. We can get like some Prince uh, Damon action where John jumps from his dragon to the exactly. back of Sarian and fights mm-hmm. the Night King like that. I, <laughs> I'm on board. I had raised this in a previous episode, but just if the Night King's able to throw that magical javelin that hard, he's got to be really, really strong. So it's hard for me to picture him in a one-on-one combat yeah. situation with Jon Snow. And that kind of like and that's that's this this brings us back to Arya. Arya hasn't faceless manned anyone, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Since she got to Westeros, other than the phrase. So maybe her assassin training is. We talked about this earlier in the season. Maybe she sneaks up on Night King because no one can stand him hand to hand. But if someone can sneak up on him, I remember we joked about the idea of her, you know, managing to take a White Walker's face. Which was <laughs> really funny. <laughs> she would come up with Littlefinger's face, and they'll just like not recognize that as a threat, and so she's too close that way. <laughs> yeah, that's what else we talked about is the idea of her taking Littlefinger's face, of saving it, and going south as well to to get Cersei. But, uh, <laughs> wow. But yeah, I mean, Arya, Arya does have that special dagger that we know is special because it was in that book that Sam was reading. So if Arya, you know, ended up with that dagger, uh, there's a reason behind that. She's going to use it for something big. Other than they, killing Littlefinger. Yeah, that they wasn't They're trying to that dagger over and over again. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. That dagger matters. All right, we got a super chat I think we can get to. Yeah. Uh, from Perry. Can't another dragon kill Viserion? Seems well, like probably, yeah. Well, whites are destroyed by fire, and that would be fire hitting a dragon, so probably, but. Yeah, that really could be. I, I feel like, you know, we've seen dragons fighting each other in the Dance of Dragons, and the older dragons are not terribly harmed by dragon fire, but we did see one of the younger ones blinded by dragon fire in a dragon on dragon fight, so. It's not dragon even... still might work differently, right? Exactly. I'm, I'm not. But clear it still on might this. put the other dragons in danger to do it. You know, the, mm. the biggest danger to a dragon is another dragon. So one of the other dragons might be able to take him out, but may get taken out themselves. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, unless you have any other thoughts on dragons killing dragons, we can move on to these other two. Yeah. Do you, any of you, any of our guests, have a thought on uh, dragons versus Viserion, living dragons versus dead dragons? I haven't really thought about it. I just picture them fighting like normal dragons fight, just like trying to bite each other's necks and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's I don't see. I see Danny having a hard time attacking Viserion though. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Just emotionally yeah. speaking, that'd be difficult. Yeah. 
And then he was yeah. just that scene, but he sure. seemed, Viserion seemed really fast, like seemed faster than Drogon. You know, maybe oh, yeah. Just the way they filmed that scene, but he was just turbo dragon. <laughs> yeah, he seemed <laughs> like it. charged up by the Night King's powers, you know. Maybe, yeah. 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 Or the, will the wind from the storm that the Night King brings also, maybe he gives him a little bit of speed and... Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Maybe slows the other dragons down. I was wondering if that was going to be when I... In that episode six... When the dragons were flying there, I was wondering if, if the snow winds or the, the winds of winter <laughs> yeah, would, would affect their ability to fly normally or whatever. But so far, no. But it's not it's still possible. <laughs> All right. We've got another super chat that's related from Aegon Starkarian. Arrows bounce off dragons. Would a dragon glass tipped arrow kill Viserion? I, 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 maybe I a scorpion that, would work. Yeah, that yeah, that's what I was thinking. A scorpion size. I think you still have to have enough force. <laughs> yeah. Like, when Sam stabs the White Walker with the dragon glass, what if it was like an infant stabbing the? You know, if it, yeah, you have just, to have enough force yeah. to Why would Sam stab an infant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's that's one that would thoughts, already been turned. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah a, a dragon glass scorpion bolts would, yeah, would work. Yeah. I think to to kill v- Viserion, but I. I, I don't think it would just kill, obviously, a regular dragon. Yeah, That'd be I, cool I agree. if Kyber walked away from Cersei. She's like, we're just going to hang out here and see what happens. He's like, what? I'm going to see these zombies. Come on. <laughs> no one walks away from me. <laughs> All right. And then we'll see who really owns Gregor. Purple She-Wolf for Sean. Any kind of Sansa love deserves respect. This was from a while ago. but All right, there you go. go. Thumbs up for right. Sean. From Perry. I think the giant will break the walls of Winterfell, i.e. from Sansa and Sweet Robin, earlier on. Oh. Which is an interesting idea. Uh, it seems like Viserion is so set up to be the one to do it, but I, we have also seen those dragons, uh, those, those giants, giants yeah. coming through. They, and you gotta think they're gonna want to put them in action, give film some scenes with them doing something. Breaking yeah. into castles seems like a great way to kind of show us that, like ripping off the doors or... Yeah, maybe he doesn't want to burn... Maybe this is one of those times where he doesn't want to burn... His target was to keep the humans from being incinerated. Or it could be the other dragons are stopping it. They're, ah. they're the defense around a castle. The dragon's tied up, so the giants do it. Well, I also have supposed that the Night King might split his army up. Mm. You guys go down to White Harbor. You guys go down to Winterfell. That would make it harder for the humans to deal with, you know? Sending in the giant would be a nice ironic twist on one one smashing down the doors during the Battle of the Bastards too. To send in <laughs> another giant through the doors, but this time it's a zombie one instead of a heroic one. That would wow. that That's would be quite catch. sad. <laughs> He'd be named Tutu. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. The dreaded, infamous, zombified Tutu the Giant. <laughs> so there's two aspects to this conversation. I think we've covered, for now, I think that's a good bit of coverage on how the Army of the Dead will function, like what they will do, maybe what their goals are, and where they might go first. Let's look at it from the other side of things. What will the humans do? How will they defend themselves? How will they prepare for this threat? And what kind of things will they do? Like, in other words, what's, what's the defense going to do here? Obviously, the dragon glass is, is a pretty big part of it all. I think they're going to use brave, brave Sir Robin's defense. <laughs> <laughs> Run away! Run away! They, Run may, away. they might have to. Winterfell doesn't seem like a good place to hold up. It just, you know, despite the, the, the potential for hot water down in there, you know, mm. the neck might be a better place to try to, you know, make a stand. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, well, I have been having this idea lately that um, just getting a feeling that it would be um, 
like they might come up with the idea of like not not that they need to of course they need to defeat the night king oh that that's what i have forgotten they have to defeat the night king for everyone else for all the whites to die right so that will be their their main purpose so that's why i think like if well if the night king like the night king will have to move away from his army so that uh uh, so that they can, so that it works in the show for them to fight both uh, things at the same time. Because I want them to trap all of the whites in one place, like in one castle or somewhere, and just blow it up, basically. Um, mm. That's the way I, I can see them figuring out how to get rid of a big mass of whites all at once. Yeah, they could sabotage. They could set Winterfell up with a bunch of wildfire. Yeah, and yeah. Let them come in. Let them out. all take the walls down, and come <laughs> through, and then blow it all up. I don't know if they get a hundred thousand of them, but they might get twenty thousand or something. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking because John kept mentioning, well, asking Tyrion how many people you can fit in King's Landing, and Tyrion said one million people. Hey, you can fit one million people in King's Landing. That's a lot more than there are whites. But uh, of course, they need they would need to get all of those people out, um, or maybe they have all turned into whites. I don't know. But it would be interesting to see if that's what happens in King's Landing because we did see it blown up in Danny's vision. So maybe that's that's the idea that I was getting. Like, hey, maybe maybe they can uh, do like a callback type of thing of not only Cersei blowing up the Sept uh, while the, all those people were trapped in there, but also someone going in there to to get it started and kind of commit that sacrifice or like. Kind of like what Leaf did in the cave, where she just Ooh. sacrificed herself, and, but in order to blow up that bomb and get rid of a bunch of whites. So that's kind of what I saw happening, just because of, they they do they keep doing these callback things. So maybe yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I like the thought of uh, the battle moving south, of the final defense moving south, uh, and I like the idea of it being in the Vale in particular, because I think that they could, you know, lead a pretty good defense from the Vale, where that I think the White Army couldn't move, they couldn't swarm them as easily there. I mean, they talk about how you can only really have people standing two by two going down certain parts of the Vale, so I, I could see it happening. The Night King still has his dragon that he can fly up there, but I, I don't know, I think they could yeah. have better luck. Anything that were you're right. Any that's a good concept to 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 mention. Any anything that reduces the army, of the dead's ability yeah. to use their numbers. So that's where the neck comes in too. The neck, yeah. the eerie. Uh, I think both of those are good uh, defensive locations. I had another thought. This is a, a little more broad, but just cinematically, the way that I think this battle is going to be presented is much like Star Wars, where you get this ground battle. You know, mm-hmm. you get a certain group of characters in a ground battle. Then you get an air battle. And then you get a hand, you know, sword fight, and you kind of bounce around between the X wings and the and the the Jedi and the the stormtroopers. You know, you'll have oh, okay. the, some soldiers underground with swords fighting the whites. Then you'll have John fighting the Night King. You know, individual combat, and then the dragons flying in the air fighting each other. I bet, I bet that's the climactic battle that we get to hmm. in Episode Five or whatever. All right, that's cool. Another thing that we have that's worth mentioning going on in the north is, apart from the dragon glass, we and apart from training, you know, young all the all the kids are learning to fight, and that's a, an ongoing effort, the training of, of the people. We also have basically all, if not literally all, of the named Valyrian steel blades in the north, and you know that's that's pretty interesting. Obviously, that's really helpful. Um, there's that's basically the best weapon they have available, other than 
you know, Drogon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Rhaegal, but... And plot armor. And plot armor, yeah. Nothing beats plot armor, even <laughs> nothing whatsoever defeats plot armor. So I think that's all really interesting, like how they're going to deal with all that and how maybe, especially with... Now, this is another reason I wanted to talk about Jamie today. Like if they throw him in prison or something, they take his sword back, you know, that was Ned Stark's half of his sword, <laughs> you know, but... He tried. They gave him half a dead Stark sword. He gave it to Brienne, and then he got the other half back from Joffrey. <laughs> you know, you remind me of something else that I meant to mention earlier when we were talking about the dynamics of John and Danny and uh, who he really is or whatever. I don't know if John wants the Iron Throne. He was reluctant about being king of the North. He didn't want to be in charge of the 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 white the 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 watch the uh, the wall the yeah. Uh, it keeps getting thrust on him. I can easily imagine, much like Bran, like, oh, Bran, you're, you're the, yours should be the Lord of Winterfell. It's like, I can never be the Lord of Winterfell. I have this other job to do now. I don't know if John, he might not be able to avoid it. It might get thrust on him, but I think there's a chance that some of this conflict that might come up with him and Danny might not be there because he's like, look, I don't want to be the king. You know, don't, Bran, don't tell anyone else. Let's just keep this secret. Mm-hmm. Ned kept it secret. We'll keep it secret, you know? Well, that's actually a good uh, little segue to Eliana's topic, which is John. And uh, the reaction to people... Let's reactions. do the super chat first. Yeah, we'll do the super chat first, and then we'll move on to that. All right, um, from Rebecca Maluk. Uh, let's say that we will see Dragonbinder. Do you think that Danny will sacrifice Drogon and Rhaegal in order to bring down Viserion? Mm, of course, for, for our guests who may, may may not be aware, we call him Viserion, you know? <laughs> Ice, get it? Uh, the Ice we're very clever. Um so, sacrifice Drogon. That's that's really an alternative idea to her being this Anissa is that the dragon is could be. This you know. She loves him. Yeah, and, and it's, the dragons have also been thought of as Lightbringer themselves, mm-hmm. which would be they're the instrument and not the, the thing that gets sacrificed. We haven't heard from uh, Emmett in a while. What do you think about this? Sadly, I doubt Dragonbinder's showing up. I'd love to see it, but I think it's a little late to throw... Uh, a metaphysical instrument that important into the game, especially since we already have, I think, the show's equivalent of of a dragon getting ensorcelled, which is what the Night King did. Yeah. So I think that's... I think her relationship to her dragons is mostly going to be about that. I forget who said it earlier that she's going to have some kind of you know emotional difficulty taking on one of her own children, even though he's been turned. I think that's more where her kind of focus in that regard goes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. We got another super chat. Just a comment from the Archmagus Eternal. Sean, is there a trench run? (laughs) A trench run? Star Star Wars. Wars, Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah. There (laughs) easily could be, yeah. A boat run. It'd be a boat run in this case. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Okay, so folks, if you have more things to say about the topics we've covered so far, we'll, of course, be having future Q&As and sessions that we can talk about these topics again. So Mm -hmm. send them to us. Feel free to mail us at westroshistory at gmail.com. You can also email us on Patreon or send us messages on Twitter or Facebook, and we will answer them at a future time. All right, so down to John's parentage. Yeah, let's talk about John's parentage. So, Eliana, this was your um, chosen topic, so let's let you kick it off. Yeah, it was going to be a great parallel to Jamie arriving in Winterfell, but, you know. <laughs> um, so, like... Oh, well. <laughs> and yeah, it really was, though, because they're so similar and. Anyways, um, anyways, so yeah, we know that a lot of people have been talking about Danny and John and how they're going to react to it, but we've already seen in season six that the Lords of the North and the Vale, they're just so loyal to John. So like, um, 
and that the sarcasm, but and they're already like <laughs> how they're like maybe we should prop up Sansa. So what happens when they find out that John, without consulting anyone, has bent the knee to the Dragon Queen? But wait, there's more. He's also not even a Stark. So um, yeah, does anyone have any thoughts on how that's going to play out? I wanted to build on how, what something Sean started off, and just just to mention that. What Sean was saying about John not wanting the throne, I think is totally true, but he's so very much a guy who puts duty first. And if if he believes that the throne is his duty because he's the rightful heir, that is potentially a different way for him to think about it. I, on one hand, I agree with you, but I'm still suspicious. I think this is a different John post-resurrection. I think what's driving him now to be king of the north isn't duty; it's consolidating forces to fight the Night King. Do well, okay. That's maybe his right? duty yeah. to so, defeat the undead. Yeah. Um, and I think that to the end that that will unite people to fight the Night King. He might accept being the king, but it that may not be the case. It might be more divisive. Mm. It might create more struggle. Right? If it breaks the North apart over their loyalty to him, it may, maybe it makes it easier. Okay, fine. Sansa's queen. Of the North, and John is queen of the seven king of the seven kingdoms. Maybe that'll maybe that'll simplify things, and he'll reluctantly take this thing on that he doesn't really want to, especially if Danny supports it. But um, I still think that uh, I'm not sure. It depends on how this information is revealed. Who's revealed I, to? I it? don't. I don't think it's gonna be revealed. You don't think Bran will bring it up? You think they're just gonna? No, I think it's gonna be revealed to John and Danny and them mm. and anyone important. But I don't think it, they're just gonna tell mm. the Northern Lords. I, I don't know why they would. That's what I was thinking, that John will have to decide what to do with that information before anyone else knows. And uh, I feel like um, the, I, I had a question, because if it's true that John is the last hope, or was, <laughs> because he isn't anymore, really, but the last hope for, for the Stark name to survive, like because there's no more... You know, Bran is not going to have children, so there's no one else who can, you know, bring... Um, keep that name going except for John. Yeah, Sansa could keep her name potentially. But yeah, we've, there's examples especially from the books where uh, um, it's only a woman survives from a house and they take they keep that name. Like I think Daenerys oh, okay. is an example of that. It's yeah. rare but I, I could see it happening with her. It even happened with the with the, uh, the, the case of one of the cases of that was I believe um, uh, the the Stark who married, uh, who, who had the kid with the wilding girl. And the wilding girl was uh, the wilding kid was the only living Stark, and that was uh, a girl, I believe. In any case, there's several <laughs> examples of that. So the, the Stark name can live on with through a, through the female line. Also, oh. new precedents can be set. If if Danny can true. be queen, Cersei can be queen. If there's uh, already <laughs> Danny's talking about breaking the will, Tyrion's suggesting new ways of choosing leaders. I think that. Uh, <laughs> I well, like the idea that that's not a concern. That Sansa has a kid, and her kid can be the heir. And even if it's a girl, keep the name Stark. Yeah. Cetera, I, I, like, I like that. I like that. I was just thinking that it would kind of uh, move the story in a certain direction if that was the case, that you can't, like, it's only John, the one who can keep it going. And then so John would not want to become a Targaryen because he, he's so tied to his Stark roots that he would want to declare himself a Stark. Um, mm. But... But I guess it makes sense for him to give it to Sansa because I, I also want I, I also figured John would want to give the throne to Danny even though it's it's his by right but I feel like he would want to give it up to Danny. 
Mm-hmm. We have a super chat that addresses this from Meredith Glassberg just now, where she says, John already said in the show that the throne doesn't matter when he first meets Daenerys. So he's, he's said something about that. He's also said, here's the other thing, uh, just as a, just to play devil's advocate, we, we had that long spiel from him in the Dragon Pit about how we, everyone has, you know, people need to be honest. You know, how important it is to be honest. Would he think that hiding the truth of his identity is something that's like okay? You know, I can yeah. see him doing it mm-hmm. because of it being public would cause a lot of problems. But he just did the harder thing yeah. because he wasn't willing to lie to Cersei. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. This is like John has a lot. This is this is very much like John being a lot like Ned and and a bit like Stannis, where he just yeah rules is I like, rules, yeah. man. I like, <laughs> I like people pointing out that Ned kept a secret. Yeah, Ned. There's about a difference right. between actively right. telling yes. a lie and not revealing a secret. Yes. So it may end up requiring him to lie, and, and he may need to learn to do that. That's know? actually a fantastic point because mm-hmm. if John learns of his identity, he's going to naturally figure out that Ned lied about it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that may change his mind on when yeah. lying is okay. He might have the wrong idea about lying because if he thinks his father was totally honest all the time, mm-hmm. he's going to find out, A, it wasn't his father. B, he wasn't honest all the time. Yeah. And we also saw Arya evaluating Ned's morality. You know, like, I knew I was breaking the rules, but I knew he was smiling, so there, there yeah. must be something wrong with the rules, you know. So, Ooh, that's a great point, too. John could maybe come to that realization as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... I wanted to point out one other thing, though, another problem with the Northern Lords, who are already, like, frustrated with the John left. They were there for Sansa in the first place. John's not only going to come back having bent the knee to Danny, but also, I made a deal with Cersei. Oh, and here's Jamie to come help us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, left and right, there's going to be things that are going to be suspicious and frustrating to the Northern Lords. <laughs> All right, Eliana, so you had a couple of different characters in particular. You wanted to talk about their reactions and what they what they might what that might be, so... Take us to our first one here. Yeah, um, sorry, I was also thinking about how you were saying that perhaps it might not even come out, and I was just trying to think of ways that it could. Mm. One character that is in Winterfell who knows Jon's true parentage is the other character who thrust him into leadership in the first place, which is Sam. So Mm. depending on what sort of faith and beliefs Sam has, he could be, I guess, one venue for Jon's parentage to come out against his own will. Um... Or on accident, even. He might get there and John yeah. might arrive at Winterfell to find out everyone already knows. He's like, I'm the last to know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's entirely possible. And he walked into the room and everyone just turns to look at him and he's like, what? But, um, you stand accused. <laughs> you stand accused of being, of being a bastard still, but not a bastard. Anyway. Um, yeah, so some of the characters that I listed out here were like, how might Bran feel? Um he might not have any feelings to feel such a thing. Um, yeah, is he Bran? Yeah, does he even identify with John as a brother anymore? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, and one way, uh, another thing that would be really interesting to see how it plays out is, of course, like the long-awaited reunion between John and Arya. Like, would this complicate their relationship as like brother and sister? Would they? Would she still feel? She would probably still feel as close to him. But how does that? If John's parentage becomes a wedge once more between, like, 
Sansa's claim and Jon's claim. You know, does that mean we reignite the, like, Stark sister feud again of whose side is Arya taking? I'd rather we not go there. And then as you were talking about, um, how will the other lords feel? You know, they've already started becoming restless with Jon being gone. And then, you know, we've started seeing maybe Bronzeon Royce, uh, becoming maybe more of a bigger character. So, you know, he has charge of the Vale Lords. How might that all play out? Yeah, and he does not like Targaryen. He was like the one of the loud people that was like, you can't trust a Targaryen. Yeah, I expected to see not just uh, conflict based on Jon being Targaryen, whether that comes out or not, but just conflict based on the fact that he's allied with Daenerys and is maybe going to be marrying her, or at least clearly romantic, that I think Sansa and Arya will be jealous. They will yeah. not just uh, totally warm up to Daenerys immediately, as much as I would like that. I mean, Tyrion saw those two hook up, and there, you know, people discuss that scene a lot, and there's a lot of things happening in Tyrion's mind, a lot of reasons for him to be worried. But he doesn't know the half of it. I mean, he doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know about Jon's identity, and he doesn't know about Jon's claim. So that's just a whole, yeah, he's, he was right to be worried about that. And now, but it's even worse than he thinks. <laughs> well, worse or better, I wonder if Tyrion would be like, "Okay, this makes it easy now," or is he like, "Okay, well, this ruins everything." Some, well, it, well, it doesn't change the fact that he still has this this big problem of romance is doesn't mix with with ruling. You know, like, what if she just starts taking all John's advice on everything? What if she just listens to John on everything instead of taking advice from her council? What if she? It worked out well for Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there's just a lot. Of, yeah. So there's just. You can see why, you've, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that can throw the situation off, and he doesn't even know some of the factors yet. He doesn't know Jamie's going to show up. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know Night King's through the wall. I mean, yeah, there's just <laughs> so many other things are wrong here. <laughs> um, yeah, I like, Elena, that you mentioned Arya and Sansa. Wait, I thought that Tyrion knew things, though. He, <laughs> he hasn't had enough to drink lately. <laughs> Those two things go together. He drinks and he knows things. It's not or. <laughs> Um, okay, so, yeah, so Sansa is really, that's a big question. Let's, let's focus on her for a minute. How is she going to react to this? Because, she, you know, she might have, you know, she's loyal to her family, but, you know, she's got maybe a little bit of ambition, and she's, she understands politics. She's coming into her own even more all the time, especially now how, how she handled Littlefinger. What is this going to do to her? What is she going to feel about this? Um Emmett, we haven't heard from you in a while. You, uh, what do you think about um, Sansa's... What do you, what do you, any predictions on how Sansa might take all this information? I don't think Sansa or Arya will be personally antagonistic towards Jon himself over it, but they might feel a little more estranged and alienated from him, especially if he seems to be vacillating between his two selves. They might feel like he's... Like, in, like, you know, not an outright traitor, but just turning his back on the part, like, they've been waiting so long to reunite as the Starks, and now he's kind of severed from that identity a little bit, or at least there's a, a competitive identity with that. So I think, you know, we were talking, I think Sean's absolutely right, there's a very good chance John won't have any interest in claiming the Iron Throne for himself. But what might push him in that direction is if the Northern Lords or the Vale Lords, uh, become less, less than fond of him, or even more less than fond of him than they already are. And then I don't think Sansa would turn her back on him, but she might advise him to, or she might, you know, that might that might be the spur for him moving in a more Targaryen direction or a more Iron Throne and Dany-focused direction, mm. is if the lords turn on him and his sisters are less than enthused about the whole thing. Right on. Uh, you know, another thing that's kind of tricky is, mixed in with this, is John's feelings on... 
as well as Danny's on the whole situation of incest. Now these these two them, themselves aren't necessarily the Northerners, you know, but the rest of the North's feeling on their relationship would come into it as well. But as we're told in the books, both the you know incest is a is an abomination in the eyes of the old gods and the new. And as far as we know, that's basically the case in the show as well. It maybe hasn't been clarified as far as I can recall. But there, there's a lot of people that would object to this relationship. And if they're, you know, if they're hooking up and they're really liking each other, that's a huge problem. You know, they're, they're going to have to decide, you know, it could come back to what Maester Eamon said to John. You know, duty is the, you, know, you can't have love and duty at the same time. And I'm guessing John chooses duty over love, but if Daenerys is, you know, Daenerys may have other thoughts on the matter, and if one of them rejects the other, and the other isn't cool with that, they don't agree with the reasoning behind it, that could cause all kinds of personal issues. It's very, very difficult. <laughs> Let us take the super chat then. All right, from J.M. Barbarossa. What if Nightfort was crastering people to White Walkers to keep the realm safe? Is... I think he means Night King. Okay, not yeah, Night I Fort. was wondering. Yeah. I just read what he wrote. Mm -hmm. uh, is Martin trolling with Prince that was promised? In real meaning, is that John is promised to be handed over to the White Walkers because of his powerful mixed bloodline? That is a, I'm, I don't know if I'd call it a popular theory, but a theory that has persisted that <laughs> the idea is that the Night King might have needed to be a Stark or needed to be a green seer, green seer in order to become Night King because he clearly is different from the other White Walkers. So what disambiguates him from the other White Walkers? So the idea is that maybe you have to be a Stark or if not a Stark, you have to have green seer blood. Uh, so uh, the idea is that Jon will be is meant to be turned into the new Night King or Bran is or any other idea like that, that, that they need a Stark to continue their line. Because mm. I think basically kind of what this this question is so getting. They promised a Stark baby. That's the idea here. So I, I, Prince I, that was promised was. So I think elements like of this theory are out there, and maybe there are clues for it. I'm not super into the idea, but I, there are clues that you know maybe Night King is arranging things in a certain way. Maybe yeah. they need a Targaryen baby or a Stark <laughs> Targaryen baby specifically. That would explain why that would back oh, up your other the theory. Fort. He says, "I mean that they traffic babies through the Night Fort to the White Walker." Oh, so he did mean that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So they were basically okay. So let's back this up. So he's saying that the Night Fort, the people at the Night Fort, were giving the White Walkers babies in order to prevent an invasion. It was like, hey, mm -hmm. if they get this, they'll leave us alone. This is the lesser of two evils. It's evil to give up these babies, but it's worse. Then oh, the babies are all going to die if we get taken over. So. Right. It's kind of a, you know, kind of the same logic behind burning Shireen to save everyone. You know, not, maybe, maybe not accurate, but similar sort of thinking. Okay. Um, the Night Fort is the oldest castle on the wall. So, you know, you never know what was going on back then. And the Night Fort was the seat of Night King in the books. So, uh, who was apparently the 13th Knights Lord Commander. King. Knights King, yes. It's different. Knights King versus Knight King. There are two. <laughs> Book and show. A little slight difference there. And, yeah, you know, that's kind of interesting. The, the, there's certainly a lot of sacrifice back in the day. In the North and everywhere, you know, there's all this talk. The old gods took sacrifices. We see tons of evidence of it in the books. Mm -hmm. It hasn't really been brought up much in the show, though, except for this this Craster baby thing. And Melisandre. No, I mean in, the, in part of the old gods. The old yeah, gods. there's a lot of oh, okay. Melisandre. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> nah, that's really tricky. Um, but I like that idea. It, uh, we, we can't we can't really answer it clearly. You know, we don't know. Obviously, nobody knows for sure except maybe George. But 
the idea that there is some big trick behind this prophecy, I, I mean, it, it certainly like it fits really well with the idea that prophecies aren't what you think and you can't trust prophecies. And, you know, maybe Rhaegar was trying to make a kid, <laughs> a fire and ice kid to give to the White Walkers. That's, <laughs> uh, it seems a little hard to swallow, but yeah. Anyway, any other takes on this? Do you, uh, Val, do you have any uh, takes on this? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's a, it's an interesting idea that the, you know the the son of ice and fire is what the night king is after for whatever reason. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Um, I also like that idea of John um, taking over that night king spot in a way um and then you know just another one of the many bittersweet endings that we could get it's just him uh becoming the ultimate duty person like all of you know everything is about keeping westeros safe and that would be the best way to do it's just like to control all of the all of the dead and keep them away from westeros um but yeah i, I don't know it's it's so difficult to say what what it could be like the whole prophecy part the book with the the whole suggestion from the book that the Night King Knights King was the thirteenth Lord Commander of the Night's Watch really sounds like if that's going to be paralleled, then mm-hmm. John being a king, he is a king, and he was in the Night's Watch, you know, blah blah de, blah. That you know fits you know, in terms of those definitions. I don't know parallels that are maybe a stretch, or at least make you think of certain things happening with the Knights King. You know, originally it was supposed to have, was said to have married a female other, right? Yes. Uh, so the, the idea that in this permutation of it, like if Danny is with John, who becomes Night King, is an other type figure. It's just a, a gender she, swap type. She thing. would marry him. The, yeah, it would be kind of the opposite thing. I, I just I think there's some things that resonate across it. It's, this is still me thinking. I think it's pretty crackpot. I think it's a little tinfoily, but it's popular for a reason. People talk about it because it, it is possible. Yeah, it's a, it's some. I mean, it isn't. I would I wouldn't say there's a lot of evidence for it, but it's supported by yeah. evidence that exists. You know, the evidence could be for other things that are similar. You know, mm-hmm. something I've thought about in the books is that there's so much as you're reading, all of it comes to what you read, right? So there will be dialogue, descriptions of landscape, thoughts in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. It's all being read. And so a thing that might be a clue or a piece of foreshadowing or an important important statement that's made or thought that's had, it's all meshed in with all the words that you've read, right? But on the show, the landscape's in the background. You don't really know what the thoughts are. But when someone says something, it's it's key, it's important, it's remembered, it's looked at, it's, it's referenced. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if in the books maybe it's easier to disguise a plot line because there's so many words you're reading. But in a show, when someone says something, it's hard to be disguised. It's hard to keep it from leading to plot lines. So maybe they throw a lot of red herrings in there to keep us from keying in on what the end of the show is. You know what mm. I mean? If to get to the end, certain lines have to be spoken, and if we can pluck those lines out and determine the end, well, they have to throw a bunch of other lines and a bunch of other scenery and a bunch of other you know, things in there to keep us from figuring out what the truth is. You know, Sometimes I wonder these theories that people come up with is because they put clues in into those series. But they're not correct. They're just to disguise the one true storyline that's happening. Hmm. All right. One true storyline. The one true storyline. <laughs> Why isn't it about Stannis? <laughs> <laughs> 
I just I totally agree with Sean. I think that's something both in the books and the show is like putting out feelers for theories you're not going to do or just putting out red herrings because there's so much stuff that's uh, predicted and predictable. So, yeah, I think that's definitely a factor to keep in mind. Cool. Yeah, it's a good. It's a, actually really smart to consider the different ways that the show and books present us with evidence and theories and just there. We talk at length all throughout the season and throughout off season about how different the mediums are. You know, and how they have to communicate things different ways. Just the just the vast difference between reading someone's thoughts and seeing what's on screen is is huge. Because you know, when you read someone's thoughts, you know it's basically genuine. And sure, they can be mistaken, but you know, on the TV when Jamie Lannister is telling Brienne about what really happened, anyone who hasn't read the books doesn't. Oh, they get the sense that this is true because of how emotional it is. You know, and how you know the way he's delivering it. But you know for a fact it's real when you read it in the book because it's in his head. You know, he's not lying to himself. You know, well, I mean, maybe in Cersei's point of view, <laughs> you have that. But <laughs> still, that's pretty cool. I like that. Okay, so let's talk about leaks and coverage. So what I want to, I'll start with, I'll have everyone talk about whether you got spoiled on anything and then how you handled leaks. And then we'll talk about strategy for avoiding leaks next time and like what worked and what didn't. So we can start with us. We'll set the tone here. Our, you know, the three of us were sort of on, not exactly on different levels, but Ashea had read some script stuff. So mm -hmm. she didn't watch the leaks, but she had some mm -hmm. script leaks. I watched one bit of a leak. I watched the Night King throw his ice javelin because I just couldn't believe that that was what was going to happen. <laughs> I just was aghast at the idea that that was what was going to happen. And it did. It, it did. <laughs> but no, I, I like reading the leaks, but I also like it when the leaks are... I don't know, a mishmash, they're unorganized, they're hard to keep track of everything, so I still have this doubt in my head of whether or not it's legit, whether or not I read it correctly or interpreted this correctly, so even when I get I get leaked on, when I get spoiled and you I'll set that, I still have doubt in my head, so it doesn't ruin the enjoyment for me. But even with all that, I got spoiled due to our chat. Someone told me that Gendry is safe and he runs back to E-Squat. <laughs> and I thought because the hound, the hound had his hammer, I thought he was he was doomed. I thought he was going to die. So even I got spoiled, even like trying to spoil myself. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, the and that and her that's been very valuable to us because she, you know, like you said, managing the chat boxes for us, she's able to point out when someone's like offering a theory that's actually a spoiler, and so mm -hmm. she can kind of protect Sean and I from a lot of that. So that was basically how we did it. Um, but we, but I was spoiled on Viserion's death by a troll who made his name the spoiler. Because Viserion died. When we banned someone from the chat here, it says blankety blank has been banned. So it said Viserion dies has been banned. So that was next level trolling. <laughs> uh, luckily you missed that. Uh, it was yeah. when we were on the stream together and I happened to glance at the chat box and that happened and you didn't look and I was like, I moved the window so you couldn't see it. Uh, Every time <laughs> I start to try to watch a chat box, you turn to me and say, Sean, what do you think about that? And I'm like, think about what? I'm sorry, I was about to go to the chat box and I hear what you said. So <laughs> I, I want so bad to read it and I often at the end of the episode go back and read as far back as I can, but... I just lose track of what's going on when I try to read it in the middle of the yeah. actual broadcast. So all three of our guests, you guys are all, you know, part of the fandom in, in overlapping but different ways. You know, we're all part of the fandom. We all make content. We're all, we're all creators, but we're all involved in a different ways. Now, Eliana, yours is one of the one I'm one of the most curious about because as a Reddit mod, you guys just have, I can't, it must have been really hard. 
it's so fun. And by that I mean it's not. It's not. Um, yes. So everyone's different. Some people enjoy seeing leaks and spoilers. Some people don't. I'm one of those who doesn't. Like like Yuzi's. I enjoy experiencing the story with the rest of the community and like as things come out. And I also just I like experiencing things as they go. Uh, so unfortunately, by nature of being a moderator. I never completely um, avoid. I, I can never completely avoid leaks or spoilers. I actually was able to avoid quite a bit this season, surprisingly, and that's because the way that we've set up the team, you know, we've set it up so that everyone like supports each other, and there are people who um, are aware of the leaks and spoilers, and um, we can just depend on one another to handle those, and no one spoils anything for each other. Um, but you know. There are quite a few people, as you said, who will go out of their way to put it in their put it in their um, username, or we have the system where people report uh, infractions of the rules, and so sometimes you'll get something that looks like an innocuous theory, but it's someone just sort of um, sandwiching sandwiching the leaks and pretending it's their theory, so you kind of end up finding out that way and then there were a couple things in the chat because I also like participating in the history of ooh cat in the history of Westeros <laughs> chat um, he was rubbing his face against the camera <laughs> he, wants, he uh, wants to be on camera <laughs> he can tell us about how he dealt with leaks um, so yeah uh, there were some things in the chat as well but all in all I would say that I did a pretty good job, I think. Uh, well, not I did a good job. Everyone on the team like did a pretty good job of making sure that people who didn't want to be spoiled weren't. And surprisingly, there, I didn't see any leaks on Twitter. Oh, great. Yeah. I didn't either, somehow. <laughs> yeah. We have a friend who got spoiled on something by reading an article in National Review, of all places. Just he's oh, reading a newspaper, uh, you know, online news, and just there was a shot of Viserion, like the blue eye, he said. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that did get what, spoiled. Do you, have, do you guys come up with any new strategies for next time? Is there any kind of, well, we should do this next time to avoid like, just kind of new strategies you have? Or did you basically said what you did sounded like it worked pretty well, so maybe you don't need to do anything differently. Yeah, the system's pretty effective. It's just that, you know, there's going to be people who go out of their way to make trouble no matter what, or just people who want to engage and they don't realize that maybe don't talk about leaks here, talk about leaks here. Um, and, you know, I think the system works pretty well for the current format that we have for the show. One of the things that I have, uh, we're, we're, we're making plans for it, but we don't exactly have that hammered out yet, is what would we do if the Winds of Winter like were to be leaked, <laughs> yeah. God oh, forbid. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's that would be rough. I haven't. We've we we we're not sure how we're gonna handle regular winds of winter. Uh, leaks would be just. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so um, yeah. Did you have anything else? Or was there any other uh, thoughts you had on that? Um. If you're watching this and you're on Reddit, if you see people spoiling things for other people, please use the report button. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. advice. <laughs> okay, so Emmett, you have, you know, as a journalist and, you know, as a blogger, there's, you know, people... Active on Tumblr and Twitter as well. You have a few social media places you might have gotten spoiled. Yeah, so how did it, how did it go for you this year? And, uh, you know, what do you have planned I for next time? 
I guess well then a couple couple things just things I saw floating around message boards and whatnot. I knew about the circumstances of Littlefinger's death a little bit before it oh. happened. Um, I knew that a dragon got involved in the north. I didn't know it gotten like it got turned and used around the wall, but I knew that there was going to be fighting involved in that way. Um, and I got someone knows that I like any of the stuff involving uh, the others and bears. That's always just some of my favorite stuff in the series. So someone enthusiastically spoiled man how Thoros dies in that regard. Uh, so I got spoiled in like little little bits and pieces as I went. Um, but I didn't I, I didn't watch anything. I didn't read read any particular scene description. In part because it's like I said, it's very jumbled. Um, and it's kind of a mess, and it's just kind of a headache to plow through, honestly, and it's not, it's just not particularly enjoyable, like, it's not, I mean, that sounds banal, but it's like, it's not fun, like, I don't, especially, like, if you, there was, like, a low, if there was a low-resolution leak of a show that, like, is built around its visual spectacle and its grandeur, and it's like, why would I watch a cheaper version of that instead of waiting two days when I could watch the real thing, or as Eliana said, with everyone else who's watching... I mean, even even putting aside the ethical implications, and there are many, I don't see the appeal. Like, I don't, I, like, I could see it if it was, I could almost, I could see being tempted if it was the winds of winter and you think, like, it's going to be months and months and months away and I'm not going to be able to stand it. But for a show that was coming out on a week-by-week basis, I don't, yeah, I don't, it, 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 it would baffle me, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, if the Winds of Winter got leaked, if they got hacked, if, I, I wouldn't care about any ethical considerations, which I do care about it when it comes to <laughs> these hacks and leaks. Like, I was more likely to watch the high-quality episode 6 leak that had, you know, that, that was just accidentally aired versus, you know, HBO being hacked and, like, being held hostage like that. I'm, I'm not likely to ever watch that. I didn't watch the Orange is the New Black leaks either. It's just awful and bad quality and don't want to support that kind of active action. Right on. But, uh, I can't understand. I mean, I can see people are impatient or maybe even like, you know, want to be first or I don't know, maybe someone playing dumb and making predictions. I, I can see reasons for it. I think that they're, they're weak reasons and I think that most of those people are in the minority. Although I don't think they're necessarily mean or evil. But I think actively trying to spoil it for other people that's what that that's the one that bothers me that's really um, yeah that's just awful like just trying to ruin someone's experience for no like how do you get joy out of that <laughs> like, we, got a, we got a question here that i wanted to raise um from so 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 Benieri, ks uh do you think less of creators or fandom who publicize leaks? And I think it varies for probably for all of us. I think sometimes I do look a little askance at someone who jumps ahead, and usually it's more because they, they don't do a good job of obscuring what the spoilers are. Yeah. You know, they still have something clickbaity or something that might spoil someone inadvertently. And I definitely look a little more askance at them when it's something that was hacked versus just leaked on accident. Yeah, it's actually, I'm glad you brought the question up uh, um, before we got Val's take because I know that um, Val is a YouTuber. I mean, you do other stuff besides mm-hmm. just YouTube, but you're, you know, the most YouTube dedicated of all of us here. And that's... There was a lot of our fellow creators were making videos in the leaks, and I, I don't have a problem with them doing that. Like you say, Shay, as long as they're keeping it on the download, as long as like this video contains leaks, that's totally fine. Because a lot of people have told me, a lot of other creators say, hey, I got a lot of requests to cover the leaks. And yeah. if your fans want you to cover the leaks, then by all means do it. Just keep it, you know, just be careful with your social media posts. That's it. So yeah, I don't have, I don't think less of them. 
I definitely, if you're publishing, you know, if you're not being careful, if you're accidentally spoiling people, then I do think less of them. Because, like, it's really easy to take those precautions. Mm -hmm. um, so, Val, what about you? Did you get spoiled on anything? You, Your situation was different because you were traveling also. So this probably made everything a little different, tricky. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and the leaks, the leaks for season seven were... They, they happened so early on that like we had a really long time to to get spoiled on a lot of stuff uh, my my rule is I don't leak uh, sorry I don't I don't read <laughs> you don't yes, leak no, I, I try not to leak you're a highly evolved being <laughs> <laughs> uh, figured out some uh, some solutions um, but no uh, I don't read the leaks I never read a leaked plot I will only look at like leaked images of the actors filming on set because those never tell me like they don't tell me exactly what's happening in the plot. Like I will know that, for example, these two characters will meet at some point, but I still have enough room for a prediction. Like I need to figure out how they will meet or what they will talk about when they're together, like all these things. But I don't like to yeah read the leaks and have it all told, um, you know, Word by, word by word type of thing but uh there are some things that you can't escape from that like the and you know they're coming from the leaks even if you didn't read them like the all the ice dragon posters that all the artists were making like it's uh i was pretty sure that came from the leaks i kept hearing about the ice dragon all over the place and uh so i knew that was gonna happen i mean i still hoped that it didn't but uh at the same time i still found it pretty cool that it happened um, but, uh, what else? Um, oh, the, uh, surprisingly, I didn't get spoiled when the episode six get leaked early. Um, I was still nice. using Twitter. Uh, and yeah, surprisingly, I didn't read anything. Did I, I was still using YouTube. I didn't see any thumbnails with the ice dragon or anything. Like, um, a lot of people got spoiled that way and I was super lucky that I didn't. Um, but another thing that I didn't like is also that what you guys were saying is how people will make predictions and uh, and they're not telling you that they're from the leaks. They're just, you know, saying it as their own prediction. And, and not only that, but also I did have one stream where like in the chat, I was being asked questions and I got asked this question a few times. It's like, uh, what is the reason for the dragon to go save John in the north? And I'm like... <laughs> What? 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 I was, I was, I didn't understand the question. I'm like, why do you get like, and then I clued in after I was done the stream, like, oh my God, is that what's going to happen? Is that what people write in the leaks? God damn it. You know, yeah. so yeah, that sucked. Uh, but so I, I didn't, I didn't find out too much, um, luckily. So, yeah, you know, um, I was happy with, uh, with just the, the pictures, the leaked pictures and leaked uh, information from like Watchers on the Wall, and, like all this mm -hmm. stuff. So. And there's some big things you could see from those leaked pictures just because you, you knew the people are on set together. I mean, that was the first real, uh, real, uh, set of, le of, you know, spoilers that we got. You just, you, how can you, how can you not notice that John, Kit Harrington's on set with Amelia Clark and then, you know, Liam Cunningham yeah. and all these people? How can you not see that they're all at the Dragon Pit? They couldn't keep it locked down. Yeah. I mean, there's different people in different countries. Like people get spotted in the airport or something yeah. like that, you know, yeah, like, oh, exactly. this dude showed up in Iceland, you know, that can only, like, why else would they be in Iceland, you know? <laughs> you know, well, there just happens to be a lot of Game of Thrones being filmed there and, you know, show up there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's really weird because of, 
people are so keyed in on it. It's a really, it's kind of a new problem. I mean, it's not new for Game of Thrones, but it's an evolving problem. And there were rumors that they filmed fake scenes to throw people off. And I never, I never confirmed yeah. whether that's true. Is that true or is that just a rumor? Anybody I never know? saw anything about it being true. I, I think there was one um, one scene that I remember that did, we didn't see happen. Um, and there were some other things, uh, like some actors that were spotted filming, and then we didn't see them either. Like Edmure, we you know Edmure was supposedly oh. filming scenes, and uh, oh. we didn't see him. The the girl, the the little bird, the one girl that talked to Varys. you know uh, Pycelle. I mean, they talked to Kyburn and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah she was supposed yeah, to she... have filmed. Yeah, if you look at the preliminary outline, there are definitely scenes that were supposed to have been filmed. They planned to film or had some mm. idea for, but mm. it was cut. So, like, I don't know that those are fake scenes, but it's possible oh. there were fake scenes. But like that one, the little bird one, I don't think was. Mm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's that explanation. But the other one that I did think might have been a fake scene was the one, or maybe it was meant for another show. But it was the one with the explosion where we saw like this hooded man that was like looking at something, and then something exploded, and he like yells Khaleesi or something, and everyone was freaking out. We're like, is that Jorah? Is he gonna get burned? Yeah. Or like all these things. Yeah, there was this one video that was really interesting. Like everyone was trying to like figure out what that meant, like what that explosion is. It a, is it a dragon? Is it a, it's another kind of explosion? But it seemed to happen like with a hooded man at night, just looking at this box or something, and it, and it exploded. So I was wondering if that was one of the fake scenes that they filmed. Um, yeah, but it did seem like something like that, huh? expensive to do just to for it to be fake. Yeah. I'm, I'm generally pretty down on the idea that they filmed fake, fake scenes just because, I mean, there's things that we wanted to see, period, that they didn't film. Like, there's, I, I don't know, it just, I, it, it bothers me. It runs me the wrong, wrong way to a picture of them investing money into doing fake scenes when there's things we didn't even get that I felt we deserved. Yeah. That's uh, why I didn't accept that rumor face value because it just seemed like, really filming? Like, that's expensive. Yeah, yeah, it's expensive. Like, <laughs> I could see them having fake scenes out there, like, leaked through text and through things like that. Yeah. Or, like, in that outline. Like, I could see them disseminating information in that way, but it's hard for me to picture them spending however much it would cost for even a day's filming. Yeah, you could see, like, a cameraman being, like, texting his buddy, like, you can't believe what I just filmed. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Like, there's almost nothing they can do about that. <laughs> but, yeah, the fakes, yeah, it's, it's a whole different ballgame with fake, you know, mm -hmm. misinformation course, coming from I'll the say now that there are supposedly leaks out for season 8, but one, how would they be out, those ones be out? And two, it's just, just like, HBO isn't cracking down on them at all. It does not seem like they're legit. So I, uh, I would say you're generally safe out there right now that we don't seem to have any leaked material, except for the fact that in the preliminary outline, there were maybe some clues and hints for what's going to happen in season 8 that could be considered spoilery, scenes that were cut that it doesn't seem like maybe they were necessarily cut, but they were moved to season eight. Mm. So there's a little bit out. Yeah, so that's that. that all like Sean and Danny getting married. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. <laughs> Ghost riding Drogon. We've been really <laughs> waiting for that. Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> okay, that covers it. I think that is a is a wrap. So all right. Thanks everybody for joining. Looks like we. How many people did we get? We got a, we got over 600 yeah, live viewers had, today. Uh, did we get over 700 at any point? Uh, no, I don't think Not we got quite. over 700. We got like 650 at one point. Cool. All right. Well, thank I you very much. I guess y'all don't want me to dance. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an open <laughs> offer. Should have said anytime. We yeah, anytime. anytime. If I didn't clarify that before. <laughs> 
So also, thanks very much to our wonderful guests. I want to make sure everyone knows how to find more of you guys. So first off, uh, Eliana, tell everyone how to find more Eliana. Hmm. <laughs> um, oh, you know. Uh, so <laughs> you can just... Uh, you can find more Eliana uh, on Reddit, and you can find a lot of other great people on Reddit too. Um, over on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, uh, I'm Glass Table Girl there, and uh, you can find me at the Maester Monthly podcast link below, uh, as well as Maester Monthly on Twitter. Or you can find me currently. My uh, handle is the Shitadol. That's going to be way easier for you to find than like my actual username. So that's me too. Yeah. Right. Bye. And, you'll, and you'll also see her in our chat quite often. Yeah, she's well, one yes, of our Yes, I'm there a lot. Yeah, it's a little wrench next to her name for being mod. It is okay. lit, as you <laughs> <I> can say. <laughs> okay, and poor Quentin. Tell everyone how to find more poor Quentin. So yeah, I go by poor Quentin. That's Quentin with a Y, of course, on both Tumblr and Twitter. And um, you can find what I've written for uh, Deadspin this season on Game of Thrones over on Deadspin, the concourse section under my under Emmett Booth there. I also just wrote an article for Vulture on teasing out parts of Winds of Winter from Season 7, certain elements mm. we can, saw in the last season that we might see coming forward in the books. So that's over also up on Vulture under Emmett Booth if you want to check that out. And so that's all pretty representative. Cool. And last but not least, Val, tell everybody how to find you, not just your YouTube channel, but your, but mention, uh, tell everybody about the Side Effect podcast, too. Oh, yes, yes. Um, first of all, I, did, I wanted to say that I've seen the Shitadel on Twitter, and I now I'm like, it was you. It was you this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. I was, was the one with the poop and the knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> there was people in the chat. There was at least one person in the chat. I think it might have been uh, Mark Joseph or Ella Melson was like, oh, is that Eliana from the chat is on? Oh, cool. Yeah, people, a lot of people had that moment of realization <laughs> that it was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. So I have a, a podcast as well called The Side Effect, and I do it with uh, other Game of Thrones YouTubers, actually. Yeah, it's uh, Rarest. And Chris from Smokescreen, Kevin from The Bad Productions, and Tarzan from Trial by Trivia. And we do it every week. Uh, but we also talk about a lot of comic and stuff. We mix it in with Game of Thrones and anything, like, you know, in the geekdom, fandom, whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so go check that out. Uh, it's easy to find just with a quick Google, the Side Effect Podcast. And I also do videos for Game of Thrones on my Because Geek channel. Uh, YouTube channel, and uh, I'm playing a few interesting uh, series for the off-season, so if you wanted to check those out, please go and subscribe. <laughs> and uh, I, you can also find me on Twitter, um, underscore because Val. No, wait, wait, sorry, the underscore goes after. Yes. <laughs> because Val underscore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, please, everyone, like and support all of the community. We have a wonderful community. We all get together and do fun things like this. And it's because, you know, we all respect each other. We're not terribly competitive. We like to gang up and gang up on you guys and, and give you all of the information at once. Make fun things. So what's next from us is uh, Wednesday. We'll be back with Radio Westeros and some other guests, as I said at the beginning of the stream. We'll probably do another one of these in about two weeks. We'll do these periodically with uh, Sean and Ashea and the guests. And it won't always be on Monday. We're going to try to rotate a bit. Since we don't have the TV show to kind of force our hand with our schedule, we're going to try to move it around from time to time so different people 
can make it because not everyone can make Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, 11 p.m. GMT, or 12 p.m. GMT, depending on what time of year it is, whether daylight savings time is in effect or not. Mm-hmm. And so be, be on the lookout for our future streams. We'll be always trying to post them as far in advance as possible. We weren't able to post this one too far in advance this time, but we'll try to get a little better at that. And uh, yeah, so we'll see a lot of you guys Wednesday. And of course, our book material is coming out again soon. We'll be doing, you know, continuing with our show coverage. We'll be continuing with our book coverage. Lots of stuff coming out from us. So plenty to look forward to. Thank you all for being here. Thanks to Sean. Thanks to Ashea. Mm-hmm. Valar Morgullis, Valar Reredis, Valar Rewatches, Valar, see you next time. Thank you guys. <laughs>